greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my channel. My name is John Campia, and this is Open Mic. What is Open Mic? Well, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not the John Campia Show. Of course, the John Campia Show, the regular Monday through Friday with all the different topics, blah, blah, blah. That's been put on hiatus for a few weeks. That will come back in a couple of weeks. Keep your eyes open for that. But for now, every couple of days, we're just going to do Open Mic, taking your guys' live questions and comments, talking about the things that you guys want to talk about. And listen, here's how you get a comment or question read here on Open Mic. You simply use the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video. You can just click on that there, or you can enter it manually, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You can also see that address down at the bottom under my name tag there. And that's how you get a question. You'll be getting a question on the show, and you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. So it's two birds with one stone sort of thing. Hey guys, uh, starting a little bit late here, we tried to start this show at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, but unfortunately, for whatever reason, YouTube being YouTube, it would not connect to the live stream. Everything was right. It just didn't do it. And so I rebooted the machine, still didn't do it. I logged out and logged back into YouTube, still didn't do it. And so we canceled the 10 o'clock show and then I tried it again and suddenly magically worked. So we're here at 11 o'clock, better late than never. So hi to everybody and everybody who's joining me here right now. Good to have you here. So there's just a couple things I wanted to touch on before we get into the live questions, if you will indulge me. First thing is this, I finally got, I was a little bit late but you guys know I've been extremely excited for Doom Patrol Season 2. I loved Doom Patrol Season 1. It's one of the most creative shows I've seen in a long time. And so I Doom Patrol Season 2 came out the other day with the first three episodes. I finally had a chance to sit down and watch the first three episodes of Doom Patrol Season 2. It's better than Season 1. Already, it's better than Season 1. Um, the, the best way I know how to describe Doom Patrol is imagine an architect and then a designer building a house together. And imagine this house of Doom Patrol. The architect is Shakespeare, right? Shakespeare sets all the, the heavy narrative and sets the interhuman drama and sets the deep philosophical issues. Shakespeare is the, is the architect of the house. And then Kevin Smith is the designer. Kevin Smith comes in and puts in his wacky coat of paint and his crazy flooring choices and his weird decisions about where to put the bet, what like what to put in the bedroom and all that kind of stuff. That is the best way I know how to describe Doom Patrol. Shakespeare's the architect. Kevin Smith comes in and does the decorating. Because this show, I am telling you, and Mike Hill just sent in a... Uh, a, a super chat badge. Thanks for that, Mike. I appreciate that, man. Um, so, what? Yeah, this show, the character stuff is deeper than what you'll find on most most HBO shows. When you look past the interior decorating of the Kevin Smith, the f bombs all over the place, and the craziness and the wackiness and all that kind of stuff. When you look past it, you have character depth and narration development and interpersonal conflict and all this kind of stuff that meets or exceeds anything you'll find in any HBO show. But instead of then having a reflective serious, serious exterior, it puts on this exterior of this wacky mad ball, crazy world of the doom patrol. That is absolutely nuts. And if you had told me all of this, if you told me all of this, before watching the show, I don't know if a mixture like that can work, but oh my God, it works. 
And, and they continued that. Like, they've already, we're three episodes in. We're into these heavy, heavy issues of how do you deal with guilt? And not just little, I mean, they're going deep into each individual and like the wrestling with guilt and shame and pain and, you know, dealing with ghosts of your own past while also facing challenges of the present while working in all this wacky stuff at the same time. Like, doctor, for those of you who've seen it already, Dr. Time, how crazy was that Dr. Time? How nutty was that? And yet, for some reason, it 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 plays these magical note notes on the harp of the universe that just resonates. I I love the first three episodes. I cannot wait to see where they go with this. I love the chief's daughter. Uh, I just there's so much I love about this show, guys. God, there's so much I love about this show. If you get a chance to check it out, do listen. I'm gonna tell you right now, though. I'm not gonna be one of these guys that tells you everybody's gonna love Doom Patrol. No, it's that mixture of Shakespearean architecture with Kevin Smith, you know, interior decorating. That's not going to work for everybody. So I cannot sit here and tell you, I can guarantee you're going to like this show. I can't. It's not going to be for everybody. But I think for some of you, it's going to be the, one of the most pleasant surprise things you've found on television in a while. For some of you. So I do want to encourage you to go and check that out because I'll tell you what, guys, I've, I've been I'm loving it. I thought I would watch one episode last night because I got around to it pretty late. I was getting into bed and I thought, okay, I'll pop on one episode while I'm in bed. I need to get sleep. Zan and I are going to the gym in the morning. Got to get to sleep. I had to watch all three. I had to watch all three. Couldn't stop. Couldn't stop. Oh, love it so much. Anyway. Okay. One last thing I want to talk about here just quickly before uh, we get onto the live questions. I found this really interesting. We've gone a while without our fix of MCU, right? We've gone, we've gone a minute since our last fix of MCU goodness and you know just waiting now here for I mean we're hope Black Widow hopefully it comes out when it's supposed to come out and all that kind of stuff but you know we're looking to Disney Plus now for its first introduction of MCU goodness and one of the ones that we're obviously very very excited for is Falcon and Winter Soldier I'm stoked for that I love the chemistry between these characters already how they're able to do in a standalone project without Captain America there is going to be interesting to see. But I'm very excited about this. Sebastian Stan is great. I love Anthony Mackie. So this is going to be interesting to see. Well, what is also kind of interesting is Anthony Mackie was just doing an actors on actors with the variety. And one of the things that he said was that they really did shoot this like a movie. He said uh, there were people on set that are used to working in television. They said, this is not like working in television because they really did take the approach. He said that we shot a six to eight hour movie. That's how we filmed it. Cause you know, traditionally you shoot very episodically and you structure everything that you're shooting around the ep the individual episodes that you're going to be serving up. According to Mackie, what they decided to do on this is just, no, they threw that out the window and they just kind of went with the notion of let's approach this like we're just shooting a really, really long movie and we'll just chop it up into individual episodes as we go, which is fine. And personally, somebody who likes the MCU as much as I do, I really like that approach. And even if it means, like the drawback of that kind of approach could mean that episode one ends in an awkward way, right? Because they weren't necessarily structuring it out as a television show. Maybe episode four ends kind of in a weird spot. 
It's like somebody says, okay, I'm just going to run to the store for a bit. Okay. And, and then the credits roll. It's like, that's a weird place to, maybe that'll happen. I don't know if that'll happen, but I'm saying, even if that happens, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. If it runs that way, if they just bring, listen, the way Kevin Feige and his story group have delivered their stories clearly works. And even if it means for some awkward interruptions with the individual episodes, I'm all for that. If the accumulative effect is the traditional effect we get from an MCU theatrical released movie, just obviously in longer form. And if that's the case, great. Now, there had been talk that it was going to come out in August. They still haven't finished shooting this thing. And right now, I haven't personally heard any official word on when they're coming back to uh, to get going again, to get the, to finish off the shooting. So, I mean, I don't know if this thing's actually going to come out in August. Might be. I'm going to guess. I'm just guessing. No insider information. I'm going to guess it's going to come out sometime in October. That's my guess. So it sucks we're going to have to wait a little bit, but whatever. That, WandaVision, you know, I think there's a lot of things up in the air right now. But uh, I'm excited what we're hearing. I'm excited for it, and I'm excited for what we're hearing. All right, guys. With that down, let's get on to the main reason everybody is here, which is to talk about your live questions and the things that you guys want to talk about today. And for whatever reason, I this is this is not it. This is not what this is supposed to look like. So let me give me a second here. Let me see if I can figure this out. I should be able to figure it out. Does this figure? Does this work it out? Uh, that doesn't work it out. Let me see if this works it out. This might work it out. Nope, that didn't work it out. Let me try this. Let me see if I can get this to work out. Oh my goodness, that got it to work out. That got to work out, I think. There we go. As, you, as I said, guys, we've had some technical issues today, but we're all good now. Okay. Let's get things rolling here. And we're going to start things off here with Julius A. Goodwin. The first couple of questions we're going to take, guys, were a couple of the leftover questions from Saturday's open mic. Because on Saturday, we didn't quite have enough time to get through every single last one. So we're going to start off today's show by getting caught up on those. Julius, there's only a few to get through. Julius A. Goodwin wrote, You said not long ago that athletes of the past couldn't compete with athletes of today. But do you think that also applies to Michael Jordan? I think he could actually dominate today if he were in his prime. Okay, so what Julius is talking about is somebody wrote in and asked a question is, do I think today, if you were able to go on a time machine, snatch up, they asked, if I could snatch Bruce Lee from his era and then just teleport him to today and put him into a UFC cage against Khabib Nurmagomedov, the baddest man on the planet, the, the best fighter in the world is Khabib. Could Bruce Lee fight Habib? And I said, no, that, no, there's no chance. Here's the thing. Athletes grow and develop based on the work done by the generation of athletes before them. And so athletes just keep getting, there's a reason why the hundred meter dash record, like the, the hundred meter dash runner today would obliterates the record from the 1960s, like obliterates it. New training techniques, new new methodologies, new you know nutritional supplements, new whatever dietary discovery, whatever whatever it is, the athletes just keep getting better and better. And so there's you know you put a sprinter today from the world's best sprinter from the 1960s to the 1970s, it's no contest, it's no contest. 
And, you know, because the next generation of athletes learns from the previous generation of athletes. And guess what? The next generation of athletes are going to learn lessons and benefits from this generation of athletes and so on and so forth. It is the natural way of things. So what about Michael Jordan? Well, there's there's a couple of interesting things to point out about Michael Jordan. Number one, Michael Jordan wasn't that long ago. <laughs> I mean, when did Jordan retire in the 90s? I think he retired in the 90s. So it's like, um... When did Michael Jordan retire? I want to say he's like just retired, like his actual, actual retirement. Okay, so his second retirement was in 2003. Yeah, so it's not like we're talking 50 years ago before our time. No, it was just like still in the 2000s he was still playing. So Michael Jordan isn't that far removed from today. So I think Michael Jordan would compete today much better than say a player from the 1960s or a player from the 1950s or or what have you but still michael jordan in his prime then against the absolute top elite today i don't think so and i watched michael jordan play i'm i'm just old enough that i watched michael jordan play he was the most dominant guy in the game and he probably has a separation of his dominance at the time from the best players today from their peers. It's probably a bigger gap between Michael Jordan and the rest of his peers compared to today's top guys and their peers. But could Michael Jordan in his prime be in the NBA today and compete at a very high, maybe even all-star level? I think so. I do. Because it's not that far removed. It's not that far removed. But when you look at guys today, whether it's the Greek freak or you're looking at uh, guys like Durant, or you're got, looking at guys like LeBron, especially, whatever. Like, you got today's athletes who have learned from Michael Jackson, and they're also much more physically dominant. Like, the athletes today are bigger, faster, stronger, more powerful, all that kind of stuff. So, I think there is a bigger gap between Michael and his peers compared to today's elites and their peers, but... And, and Michael today would be probably even all-star level. But would he dominate today? I don't think so. Because that's just not the natural order of things. So I don't think so. No, I don't think he would. I, th I still think he'd be great today. And I don't know that we'll ever see another person in basketball dominate their sport the way Michael did in his era. Uh, like, I think LeBron James is the best player in the world right now. But he doesn't. he's not so far above everybody else like Michael Jordan was so far above everybody else. Know what I'm saying? Anyway, I'm sure that's totally open for debate. A lot of people can discuss it, but that's my thought on things. All right, Preston Bell writes, John, when you reference idiocracy today, uh, I laughed and thought of Camacho, President Camacho, Macho Camacho, uh, in his State of the Union address. I know shit's bad right now. Uh, where, we are, uh, where we're running out of French fries and burrito coverings. Hopefully our situation doesn't get that bad. Yeah. Yeah, no, really, I, I just, you look at the news today and it's, I really feel like we're, we are living, I feel like idiocracy was more of a prophecy than a, um, than a movie. By the way, if you haven't watched Idiocracy starring Owen Wilson, you should. And you go, oh my God, that really is today. Anyway, there's that. All right. Uh, I say divisive wrong rights. Uh, Sup camp. I had no interest in Jack Sparrow, this Pirates movie, but Margot's one of my favorite actresses and, and celebrity crushes. Extremely talented, and she might be the most beautiful actress working today. What do you think? I mean, she is an Academy level actress, she's got Academy uh, Award nominations to her resume. She is certain, I think she's a top 10 best actress on the planet. 
she's fabulous. And of course, she like male or female, she's one of the most beautiful creatures walking the face of the earth, male or female. Uh, she's stunningly, st not, not stunningly, stupidly. She's stupidly beautiful. Stupidly beautiful. I, and I think she could play a great pirate. I really do. The, the whole, my, I get into some discussions the last number of months with people who are, are kind of like you, who are saying like, hey, you know, I'm just not interested in a Pirates of the Caribbean that doesn't have Jack, Jack, uh, Jack Sparrow, doesn't have Johnny Depp. And here's the thing, though. I, I don't really understand that because if Pirates of the Caribbean was still humming, like at top, top performance, right? Kind of like the MCU is humming at top performance right now. I could see that argument, but the reality is Pirates has never been as good as it was in its first movie where Johnny Depp got his well-deserved Academy Award nomination for best actor. And a lot of people forget that Johnny Depp got nominated for best actor for, for playing Jack Sparrow. The franchise has never lived up to that same standard since the first one. And quite frankly, some of it's been real garbage. Honestly, the, the the Pirates franchise reminds me personally a lot of the Transformers franchise. Loved the first installment. Kind of been crappy since. Although the subsequent Pirates sequels have been better than the subsequent Transformers sequels. I'll give it that. But still, it, it has not, it's never been up to that level. And quite frankly, like the Transformers franchise that even though it was putting out crappy movies, it was making money. But it was clearly losing steam because then the Transformers The Last Night comes out and it took a major dive because the audience finally said, we've had enough. You've tricked us too many times. And I kind of feel the same way about Pirates of the Caribbean. It's like, listen, the, and the Captain Jack Sparrow character has gotten worse and worse. Like he went from a formidable pirate to be feared, but also kind of a clown prince in the first one to just a bumbling idiot who falls ass backwards, you know, like Jar Jar Binks goes, Ozanosa, and ducks down, and as he ducks, he accidentally flips over the battle droids that accidentally fire their guns and accidentally takes out the enemy. That's what they've done with Jack Sparrow for the last while. Whenever he's had any success as a pirate, it seems to be by accident. Like, oops, like, and then they've just kind of ruined the character. To me, Pirates of the Caribbean being led by Jack Sparrow has run out of, it's run its course. It had a great run. They've had some big hits an Academy award nomination for Johnny Depp. They've had a great run, but I, I do kind of feel like that franchise ran out of gas. It just did. You know, you can tell by the re the reception to the movies. You can just tell it's it just, it's run out of gas. And even though the last one still made decent amount of money, which tells us people are interested in the property, it, it's just run out of gas. And so if you're, and I think the world of pirates in the high seas is valuable enough that yeah, continue on now in a new direction. So whether that's going to be Karen Gillan leading a reboot of pirates of the Caribbean, whether that's Margot Robbie in a, you know, shared cinematic pirates of the Caribbean, uh, spinoff kind of thing, whatever you do, I just think it's time to do something different. I think they really need to do something different. Anyway, that's my thoughts on that. All right. Can't be a fan writes. I know how much you love Birds of Prey. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Birds of Prey. Uh, so please reassure me that the writer, uh, that the writer, 
or that you probably mean of that film, that the writer of that film, Christina Hodson, will do a good job writing uh, the Flash Batman movie as well as the Pirates movie. Because speaking of the Margot Robbie Pirates movie, they've also announced that Christina Hodson is going to be writing the script for that. Um, I feel uh, like a solid screenwriter is essential for success. Uh, and you're right. Uh, a, a solid screenwriter is essential for success. Here's now I talked about Christina Hodson the other day. It's and I'm agnostic. I'm agnostic on her because one, she wrote Birds of Prey, which I did not like at all. She also wrote the um, uh, Rosario Dawson film Shut In with Katherine Heigl. That was terrible that was absolutely terrible at the same time she did this naomi watts oliver platt movie called shut in which wasn't super popular but i i kind of dug it i did i i kind of dug shut in but most importantly and most uh most notably she also wrote bumblebee which i thought was fantastic I thought Bumblebee was absolutely fantastic. Loved it. They were able to bring heart back to the Transformers franchise and made the best Transformers movie. Some people would say ever, I would say the best Transformers movie since the original Michael Bay one. Because I actually really do like the original Michael Bay one. I think the original one's really good. Then everything else was crap after that. So she is a screenwriter who has shown, who's had, had some rough days at the office but also she show, she has shown that her upside is very high. Her upside is very high. So I would go into it cautiously optimistic. Of course, she's penned the script for the new Flash movie. We'll see how that turns out. I won't go into the Flash again. I would say we should go into it cautiously optimistic. She's got some, some brutal ones on her resume, but she's also shown that her ceiling is quite a high ceiling. If she's on her game, she can write something really good. Again, I, I just go back to the Transformer or to uh, Bumblebee that I thought she did a remarkable job on. So, but then she did Birds of Prey. And I, I, I mean, and that movie has its fans, by the way. Birds of Prey had a lot of people that liked it. I thought it was terrible. It's the only DCEU movie I didn't like. But I say cautiously optimistic. Let's see how that all goes. Okay, next up, uh, Jason Bueno writes, Interestingly, The Last of Us 2 is the first video game I've played that addresses the body count. Unlike Uncharted, the character does not get away with mowing down hundreds of people without an emotional toll on them. Uh, violence comes with its consequences. No, it's true. It's And that's one of the things that I thought was absolutely brilliant about The Last of Us 2. I love seeing how pissed off people get when I say, sorry, Last of Us 2 is fucking brilliant. See how people get pissed off. How dare you say it's, it is. It's brilliant. I mean, it's all subjective. Of course, it's all subjective. But to me, it is stunningly brilliant. The narr the narrative, the work, narrative work in that game is like ridiculous. And I haven't played. I just watched like the 11, 12 hour uh, uh, story mode of it. And I was blown away. And I had no dog in that hunt. I'm not big and invested. And in I love the first, the first Last of Us. But, you know, I'm not like, oh, my God, my life depends on me liking Last of Us 2. No, no that, not that at all. I, but And I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And you're right. It's one of the first things is you can't go around a world, kill even if you're the hero, 
killing dozens or hundreds of people and not think there's going to be a consequence to that on multiple different levels on multi the and it's the first game that I really looked at that I watched and said you know what this game is actually looking at the collateral damage done by the actions of the hero you never or very rarely I'll say you very rarely see that truly explored you know oh that's just another guy in the room killed that guy no second thought guess what killing that guy carries consequences that will catch up to you and will affect the people around you. And you're right. I, I love that they did that. I totally love that they did that. Anyway, uh, Evan Ryan writes, Hey, John, happy Saturday. Thank you so much, Evan. Uh, is it, this was of course written in the other day. Uh, is it just me? Every time I go on Disney plus, I have to pop on Endgame and watch the battle. It's iconic. Um, I, I don't know. Like I, I have also once or twice, uh, popped on the um, popped on the end scene just to see the Mjolnir scene and stuff like that. I've done that once or twice. I don't do it emphatically because I actually find when I watch the final scene in Endgame, the big epic battle, portals as we refer to it as, when I watch the portals scene in battle on its own too much... <laughs> the logic discrepancies start to bother me more. Like when I watch the movie in its entirety, I really don't mind the logic discrepancies too terribly much. But when I watch the battle just by itself too many times, the the little logic errors that they make in it really start to drive me nuts. Like I know you've heard me complain about it before, but it's like, does anybody have eyes on Scott or whoever it was he was talking? I can't remember who he was talking about. Does anybody have eyes on Scott? And he says, it's like, um, I'm sorry, what earpiece are you talking into? And then all of a sudden, Wasp, who's with Scott, goes, we're on it, Cap. I, like, time out. I'm sorry. Um, when Wasp got snapped back into existence by Hulk, was Doctor Strange hand standing there with a big Easter basket handing out earpiece communicators? Now you get one, and you get one, and if you hit the button, you get to talk to And everybody's flying around going, yeah, Cap, I'm on it. Somebody give back up over here. Yeah, I was like, who the where did you get these things? All I'm seeing you do is touch your ear. I know that's a little nitpick, but when I watch that scene all on its own, it really starts to irritate me, uh, as well as a couple of other things. But listen... The portal scene has great, wonderful, fantastic action. And it was all about fan service. And listen, some people use the phrase fan service like it's a dirty phrase. Fan service can be really good. I say Endgame is a terrific example of fan service executed properly. But as in anything with fan service, there's also a bit of a drawback. You, you're going to have some scenes and moments that just defy logic or explanation. And that's fine. And that's fine. Because I'll take it. If the price tag of seeing Mjolnir fly past Thor and Thanos into the waiting hands of Captain America, if my price tag that I pay for that is seeing Wask talk into a magical earpiece that she never had, I'm fine with that. I'll I'll make that trade. I'll make that trade if you know what I'm saying. Anyway, uh, let's let's move on here. Uh, let's see here. That was Evan. Next up, James Welsh writes. 
Uh, some of Harley Sawyer's comments were homophobic. Uh, Greg Berlanti, uh, the producer on Arrowverse, is gay. Could it be possible that he did not want him on the show after he read the tweets and got him removed from the show? No, I, I honestly, I doubt that had anything to do with it. Uh, I think whether Berlanti was gay, straight, or an alien from Zexon 7, I, I don't think it would have made a difference. I think the comments Hartley Sawyer may, uh, made were just offensive to a lot of people, whether you're gay, white, straight, black, purple, orange, or frog prince from the universe of Patah. It doesn't matter. It was just offensive. My issue, my issue... Um, with with all of that because listen when when disney fired james gunn they just fired him I and mean, we never brought we never brought bob uh, bob Iger or alan horn's sexuality in it. and so no it had that had nothing to do with it my problem again and you guys have heard me say this before and i i'll probably make a standalone video about this even though i've talked about it many times i'll probably make a short five minute standalone video about this because i really do want this to get out there my issue is the lack of consistency with Warner Brothers on this. That's my... Because remember, Warner Brothers is the owner of CW. They own that stuff. And I... all look, And again, I am not taking the position that Hartley should have been fired. I'm not taking the position that he shouldn't have been fired. It's an internal issue with Warner Brothers. And however they decide to handle an internal issue with their business and their employees is completely up to them and i'm totally fine with it my only issue is the total lack of consistency that we've seen in how they apply these principles what are their principles what are their standards because while i loved the fact that they immediately hired james gunn as soon as he was fired from disney and they swooped in and immediately hired him. I love that they did that. But how come one guy who got fired from a job and listen, James Gunn, hats off to James Gunn. He'll be the first one to tell you this. James Gunn wrote some really stupid, unacceptable things years and years and years and years ago. But he'll be the first one to tell you that. He'll be the first one to tell you that. Anyway. Disney fires him for that and Warner Brothers, oh, we can't wait to hire him. Okay, fine. That that's their principle. Fine, great. So how come when another guy gets caught right writing completely unacceptable things years ago on Twitter, your first move is to fire him. Your first move with the other guy was to hire him. Your first move with this guy is to fire him. And one step beyond that, something that Warner Brothers to this day refuses to talk about or address. Ezra Miller is on film grabbing a woman by the throat and throwing her to the ground. And you haven't even talked about it. Warner Brothers hasn't even addressed it. Their whole philosophy is hide under the bed and go, shh, maybe everybody will forget about it because everybody's talking about coronavirus right now. Maybe everybody will just forget about this and we won't have to talk about it. Don't let them do that. 
Guys, don't let Warner Brothers do that. They owe the audience answers. You're hiring one director, firing one star off a show that we love, but you're not doing anything about this other guy who didn't write a mean, nasty tweet. He actually physically grabbed a woman by the throat and threw her to the ground. Now, again, my, much like the Hartley situation, I'm not saying that Warner Brothers should up and fire Ezra Miller. I'm not saying that they shouldn't up and fire Ezra Miller. I'm simply saying, where's the consistency? Where's the consistency? Because you know what it looks like? I'm not saying this is what it is. I'm simply saying this is what it looks like on the surface. Warner Brothers is all about the star rating. If you're a big star, we'll let you shoot somebody. Yeah, we'll let you shoot somebody. You murdered somebody on set? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll cover it up. We'll cover it up because you're a big star. So we'll, we'll cover it up. If you're not the biggest star, oh, then we'll pretend we have this high, high ethical code. Oh, and we'll fire that guy immediately. All I want to see, again, I have no problem whichever way Warner Brothers wants to handle it. I just want to understand what is their um, standards. What are their standards? What are their principles here? And then see them be consistent with those principles as they apply to a Hartley Sawyer, as they apply to a James Gunn, as they apply to an Ezra Miller. Just tell us what your standards are, and then let's see you be consistent with those standards. That's not too much to ask. Because we are the fans of the products you're putting out and you're pulling actors we watch out. You're putting directors into things that we do. You're acting one way with certain actors and acting another way with different. With different. What are your standards? Just tell us. Tell us what your standards are. Anyway, I, I, I can go off on that a lot. I get very, very upset about this issue. I, again, I just want to see... Um, I just want to see some consistency from Warner Brothers. Because right now, it looks like they're just playing a game. It looks like they're just playing a game. Oh, hey, you know, Harley's not a famous actor. So let's let's act like real moral. Let's act like we're really moral. Let's say, oh, we, no, we don't want that around here. But Ezra Miller, oh, shit. He's like star of two of our big franchises, like Fantastic Beasts and Flash. What are we going to do? Oh, shh, let's hide under their bed and hope nobody notices us. Shh, shh. Shame on Warner Brothers for that. Anyway, that's just kind of my thought on that. Uh, anyway, next up, Just a Thought writes, uh, The answer may be a resounding no, but in order to keep theaters in operation, I wonder if studios would temporarily give the theater chains a slightly higher percentage of the box office to recoup losses and stay in business when they reopen. The answer to that is a resounding no, and the reason being is one of the things that we were all forgetting. While the theaters are taking a bigger beating than the studios are, the studios are taking a financial beating right now too. The studios are taking a massive financial beating right now. Um, and so the studios, while maybe not in as rough of shape as the movie theaters are, they're thinking about their own survival right now too. So while it would certainly be, and I would be impressed if the MPA and the studios that represent it came out and said to the theaters, you know what? We are going to temporarily alter our revenue split with you. So you as the movie theaters will get to keep a little bit more of the uh, movie revenue uh, than you normally do. I think that would be a very classy move on their part. But I simply don't think they're in the position to do that because they're hurting right now badly, too. They need every dollar they're going to get in, too. And remember, the advantage that the theaters have is that they keep all of their concession money. They don't split their concession money with the studios, nor should they. 
So they get to keep that. So it, it balances out. So I think, yeah, I, I think you're right, Justin. I think it's a resounding no, mostly because I just don't think they're in the position to do that. It would be very classy of them to do it, but I don't think they're in the position to do it because I think they'll be, they're just trying to survive right now too, just like everybody else. All right, Darth Osborne writes, I like that name, writes, how likely do you think the live action remake of Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame will be rated PG-13? PG well, you should never say 100. 97.8%. It'll be a little bit more edgy for PG, which we've seen Disney is totally comfortable with that, but they will not do rated R, which if you watch the animated version of Hunchback, you could easily make that R-rated. You could easily make Hunchback R-rated. You really could. It would not be hard, but I I think it'll be a little bit too edgy, even in, in its most um, harmless form. I think a little bit too edgy for PG, but I do not see them doing PG or a branded R at all. So I would go 97.8% uh, Darth that we're going to see the live action hunchback probably be a PG 13 2% that'll be PG 0.3% that'll be rated R. So that's, that's well, just a guess, but that's my guess right now. All right. Next up, Curtis Lopez writes one of two. In my opinion, all the Jedi Masters in the prequels, Clone Wars era, uh, our probably meant outside, outside of Kenobi, Yoda, Qui-Gon, and Mace Windu, uh, of course, are unimpressive wusses. Most of them couldn't kill Grievous, even though uh, he was good with lightsabers, but he didn't have the Force. Uh, it only took 10 seconds for Obi-Wan to dismember Grievous's arms. And remember, when Windu took those Jedi Masters to confront Palpatine, they were taken out in five seconds. Yeah, true. I, I always thought that these aren't just average Jedi going with Mace Windu to confront Palpatine. These are members of the Jedi Council. I always thought, now I get it. You wanted to set up how badass Palpatine was. I get that. There was a narrative uh, directive there to really quickly establish just how powerful Palpatine is. And he wipes out like three or four Jedi Masters in like literally five seconds, to, oh, I'm dead. And like that's and that's all. They're all falling just down dead, and then he gets to have the real fight with Mace Windu. But I always thought that was a mistake. I thought you should have shown if these are like Jedi Council members, these are Jedi Masters on the Council. There should have been a little bit more of a fight, and if you had had more of a fight. It would have given you an opportunity to really show off how badass Palpatine could be fighting off five guys at once, jumping and twirling and blah, blah, and all this kind of stuff and laughing while he's doing it, right? Yeah, so yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, Curtis. I always thought that was a little bit of a mistake. It's just like, wow, these Jedi Masters are kind of useless, huh? At least that was the message of the scene. I thought they could have played out a little bit differently. But again, I, I understand they wanted to show just how badass Palpatine was. But I think there was a way to do it while also maintaining that these are true Jedi Masters at the same time. So, yeah, probably a little bit of a mistake, but just one of many in that movie. One of many in that movie. All right, Stir Crazy writes, My local Marcus Theater placed a large screen on the outside of their building and are showing parking lot drive-in shows. Watched E.T. in Jurassic Park last night, actually, which is great. Yeah, there are a number of places doing stuff like that. Now, a lot of movie theaters don't have the physical setup to do that. But there are some theaters that do, and it's actually kind of cool that they're doing it. As a matter of fact, they're turning the Rose Bowl. I talked about this on Saturday. They're turning the Rose Bowl uh, into a uh, 
into a drive-in theater. And Ann and I have got our tickets to go see Apollo 13 on 4th of July. We're going to go to the Rose Bowl on the 4th of July drive-in and watch, uh, watch uh, Apollo 13, which I'm very excited about. So I think that's a really cool idea. Hey, listen, when you come across some really, you know, uh, when you come across some diversity, how do you deal with it? Come up with some creative things to do. And I think that's really cool that your theater does that, man. All right. Thanks for that, Stir Crazy. Tyler Lindsay writes in, John, uh, if you liked Avatar, the animated show, and I did. I liked Avatar The Last Airbender very much. Check out Samurai Jack. It's a mixture of Kurosawa and science fiction. The guy who voices the Fire Lord's brother voices uh, the villain of the show, uh, Mako? Mako does the one of the voices. I highly recommend if you get a chance. Thanks and keep up the great work. I don't get a lot of people talking about Samurai Jack. I get a number of shows that people like really highly recommend I check out, Tyler, but I've not had a lot of people say I should check out Samurai Jack. But I, I remember back in the day I did a bit. You know what? Maybe I will at some point. I've got a few things I got to get caught up on. I'm really behind on a lot of stuff. So I got a few things I'm going to need to get caught up on, but maybe that's one I'll have to add to my... Um, uh, viewing dance card at some point. Thank you for the recommendation, Tyler. I appreciate that, man. All right, next up. Willow writes, Christina Hodgson doesn't have a good track record, but I don't know if her other films, Shut In and Unforgettable, were bad because of her screenplay or the direction and execution. Do you generally find it hard to separate the two? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's unless you were on set, it's nearly impossible to really say with def like with definitive conviction that the problem with this movie was more the script or the problem with this movie was more the more the direction. Unless you were on set, it's very, very hard to say. But oftentimes, you know, you get a sense. You know, you're listening to the script and, and you just look at the basic story structure. And if that feels really weak to you, then you can be like, yeah, this is really the script's problem. Or, you know, all the pieces are there. The, the, the story structure's there, all this kind of stuff. It just feels like bad execution then you know that's kind of more direction than anything else. But again, it's just kind of a, you know, you're playing it by ear a bit. As an, as an audience member who's not on set seeing them actually execute the film. Like, for instance, I did not like uh, Unforgettable at all. Shut In, I actually enjoyed. I didn't think it was great, but I like Shut In. And I love Bumblebee. So it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see where they go. And also, I'm not a big fan of... I'm not a big fan of Birds of Prey, but a lot of people were. So, I mean, so we'll call that one a push. We'll call Birds of Prey a push. Because even though I didn't like it, there were a bunch of people who did, and I respect that. So now we're left with uh, Shut In, Unforgettable, uh, Bumblebee. I like two out of those three. So we'll see. We'll just have to keep our fingers crossed because she's also doing Flash, right? So we'll see how that all kind of turns out. All right. Marie Seifring writes. Thanks for that, Willow. Marie Seifring writes in. While staying at home, I have been able to catch up on some lovely films by British director Stephen Frears. Uh, movies such as The Grifters, The Queen, High Fidelity. Oh, I forgot that he directed High Fidelity. Uh, Dangerous Liaisons, which is awesome. Uh, I mean, that goes back a bit. I mean, that one came out as a kid, but I watched it for the first time like many years later. Uh, Philomena are just a few of the films. I even rented his teleplay Failsafe 2000. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, broadcast live on CBS. I found it on Amazon Prime. I recommend checking out his work. Okay, I'm not familiar with Failsafe. Hold on a second. Let me pull this up. Failsafe. Uh, not the Henry Fonda movie. 
Failsafe from 2000. Walter Cronkite. Yep, it was the Stephen Frears, also directed by Martin Pacetta. Uh, what was it about? Cold War tensions climb to a fever pitch when a U.S. bomber is accidentally ordered to drop a nuclear warhead on Moscow. And it has Walter Cronkite, Richard Dreyfus, Noel Wiley, Brian Dennehy, who just recently passed away, uh, Sam Elliott, James Crom. What a cast. Hank Azaria. That's a hell of a cast. And you say, I've got Amazon Prime. I might have to check that out, Marie. That looks fascinating to me. All right. I'm going to have to say thank you for bringing that up. And yeah, a couple of those other ones. I forgot he did High Fidelity. The Queen is great. Dangerous Liaisons is great. But okay, Failsafe was not on my radar at all. I might have to check that out. Thank you for that, Marie. Appreciate that. It's always great when you guys write in these great recommendations. I love it. All right. Next up. Uh, let's see. Calix Magister writes, you've often stated that the holy trinity of DC heroes consists of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Well, it's not just me. I mean, that's kind of accepted. Um, not even a matter of debate. However, what would be your Marvel Holy Trinity of heroes enjoy the show? Well, you know, that's I've, I've been asked that a lot. And it really all depends. See, when you talk about the Holy Trinity of DC, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, that just transcends generations and decades. It doesn't matter what era you look at. That's the Holy Trinity of the DCU. You know, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, that's it. In whatever order you want to put them. That's the Holy Train of the DCU. It was like that in 1970. It was like that in 1980s, in the 1990s, in the 2000s, 2010s, and in the 2020s. It transcends. With Marvel, with the with the advent of the MCU and those the theatrical cinematic universe, it's changed. Because prior to John Favreau's Iron Man. What one might say is the Holy Trinity of the Marvel world would probably look very different than how people might define it today now that we are in a world that has the cinematic universe as well. Iron Man never would have been, even considered remotely. Prior to John Favreau's movie, nobody would have put Iron Man in the upper trinity of the MCU or, or of Marvel, of Marvel, I should say. No one would have put him up there. I mean, maybe you would have find a few small pockets of fandom that would, and that's that's all cool. But generally speaking, Iron Man wouldn't have been in there. But today, you'd be hard-pressed to find a lot of people that wouldn't put Iron Man in there. So, I don't know. I, I think you're, you've got to be talking about... Uh, today, if you're talking about it, I think you're talking about probably Spider-Man who and Spider-Man is like one of them that transcends decades, kind of like Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman do Spider-Man um, probably went up there, probably would have been up there. Like every, whichever decade you ask the question, Spider-Man is probably on that list. Then you probably got, as weird as it seems, again, living in the cinematic time we are, it seems weird, but I think you got to look at Wolverine. Wolverine probably for a good chunk of years was probably the single most popular character they had. I mean, maybe other than Spider-Man, but Wolverine was a psychotically popular character, psychotically popular Marvel character. So maybe Spider-Man, Wolverine, and probably Captain America would be my guess. But again, it is a much more 
difficult question to ask in terms of Marvel because there was such a tectonic shift with the advent of the MCU that changed the general public's perception of Marvel prior to the MCU being a real thing. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting question. It's weird because because today, how do you not say with with Robert Downey Jr. and the Mar the uh, movie incarnation of it? How do you not say Iron Man? I, I, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. And, and it all depends on what your criteria is, because you may want to ask, what is it aside from the movies? Aside from the movies, who's the big holy trinity? Or maybe you think only include. So it all depends on that, I suppose. All right. Murray Reich writes thoughts on Cam Newton signing with the Patriots. Not a big fan of it. I haven't been a big fan of a couple of the Patriots free agent signings. Like I know it was a pipe dream. I know it was a pipe dream, but not so long ago when Russell Wilson hadn't signed the new deal yet. I, I tell you, there was a part of me dreaming because I knew we were heading into the post Tom Brady era. I've known that for a while. A lot of people did. I had these dance, these visions of sugar plums in my head of Russell Wilson leaving Seattle. And I like Seattle. Don't get me wrong. I do. I, li I like the Seahawks. Um, but to see Russell Wilson come over, I, I thought there was a outside possibility <laughs> that we would see Russell Wilson come over and play quarterback for the New England Patriots in a post Tom Brady era. Well, that didn't happen. Um, so whatever. So what are we left with? I, I got to tell you, I'm not a big fan of the Cam Newton signing. I have thought for a long time, since his second or third year in the league, I thought Cam Newton was drastically overrated. Uh, and I've never seen anything to change my mind. Now, actually, early in Russell Wilson's career, I, I thought in his first couple of years, I thought he was a little bit overrated. But I have seen a lot to change my mind on that over the last number of years. I've seen a lot of evidence to change my mind on that, but I, I'm not big on it. Um, but at the same time, being the mad geniuses they are in New England, they signed them to a one-year deal that is mostly incentive-based. And by incentive-based, that means you have to meet certain criteria to get the bigger money. Like, you've got a deal for this much, and they signed him to a very small base contract. And then if he meets these milestones, you start this many games, you throw for this many touchdowns, you do this, you do that, whatever. Then his money can get bigger if he meets those milestones. So they actually signed him to a very smart deal because if Cam Newton can come in, and let's, let's look, coming in to be an apprentice under Darth Belichick... That's only going to help him, right? If he comes into New England and submits himself to the Darth Belichick system and plays faithfully within the system that Belichick wants to play, he could experience some success. And if he does, then it's a win-win for New England, right? If he craps the bed, oh, well, it was a tiny contract. We get rid of him. Fine. If he works out and starts to live up to that potential that some people saw in him, then great. We pay him his bonus money and then we negotiate for a longer deal with him. So really it wasn't a bad deal for them to sign. I was kind of hoping to see them get somebody else, but that is what it is. We'll see how it all plays out. 
Who knows? Maybe he'll have a better maybe he'll have a better season than than Russell Wilson does. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. All right. Uh, the butts are loose. Of course, that's a Doom Patrol season one reference. Uh, you want to know how you make one hundred million dollars disappear in ninety minutes, uh, only to get seven back? You make Pluto Nash. What a miscalculation! Yeah, Pluto Nash is undoubtedly one of the great. You know, we often talk about the great success stories. Pluto Nash is undoubtedly one of the great failure stories. <laughs> And, you know, it's crazy. If you go back a couple of decades and you say to somebody in a certain era, there's going to come a day where everything Eddie Murphy touches is going to turn to absolute dirt. Like he's going to be one of the biggest box office losers in the world. It would have seemed inconceivable to quote Vincini inconceivable. It seemed it would have seemed inconceivable. But yeah, man, he had a number of Pluto Nashes. Uh, and, and you're right, uh, Butzus, that was a high, high-profile loss. That was a high-profile loss. It's good to see him kind of making a bit of a resurgence right now. It's good to see Eddie getting back to being Eddie, so that's going to be cool to see. All right, the Wakanda Forever writes, unpopular, but I liked it. Number one, the Green Hornet. You know what? I didn't. If we're talking about Seth Rogen's Green Hornet, I didn't mind Green Hornet. I didn't think it was great, but it was better than I thought it would be. I actually even said to Seth Rogen's face, I said, I, listen, I thought I thought this movie was going to be crap. I told him straight up. I said, I, I thought this movie was going to be crap, and I was wrong. And he, and he said right back to me, oh, you were one of those assholes. I said, yeah, I was. I thought this movie looked terrible. I thought it was a bad idea. I mean, Stephen Chow was originally Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle guy. Stephen Chow was supposed to be Kato in that, which had me interested, but then that didn't work out, and they went with somebody else who was pretty good in the movie. Anyway. And uh, I actually ended up having fun with it. I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it absolutely needed a sequel, but I, I had a better time with the Green Hornet than I thought I would. Anyway, uh, number two, Birds of Prey. Hey, listen, there are, there's actually a lot of people that like Birds of Prey, so that's not that unpopular of opinion. Number three, Kick-Ass 2. Again, I think most people like Kick-Ass 2. It's just not nearly as good as Kick-Ass 1. I think that was a big thing. Uh, four, Daredevil. I love the first Daredevil. I love the, the Ben Affleck Daredevil. I have no apologies. I, I make apologies to no one for the fact that I really like that movie. Number five, Superman 4. Number six, The Meteor Man. We've talked a bunch about The Meteor Man lately. Number seven, Punisher Warzone. I also love Punisher Warzone. Uh, number eight, Blade Trinity. Ooh. Number nine, Spawn. Number 10, X-Men The Last Stand. Bonus And X-Men The Last Stand isn't garbage. Uh, bonus coat, we all wear masks. Val Kilmer in Batman Forever. Yep, you got to... I would say Wakanda Forever. There are a couple you got in there. They're actually... I don't even know that the majority of people dislike it. I think there are a number of those films that a majority of the people like, uh, but a couple of them you definitely have that the majority of people dislike. Good on you for making that list, man. All right, next up, Brad C. writes, Hey, John, Patreon supporter and avid listener to your Man of Steel review. Thank you so much, or since your Man of Steel review. Thank you so much, Brad. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter, man. I really appreciate that. Um, decided I'd finally take your advice and try... What we do in the shadows. Bravo, sir. And I loved it. The show was even funnier. Next on the list is Slither. Dude, talking about James Gunn. My, listen, I love, don't get me wrong. I love Guardians of the Galaxy. I love Guardians of the Galaxy. Don't get me wrong. But Slither is his masterpiece. I, Slither to this day is my favorite James Gunn film. It's, it is a magnificent, low-budget um, horror comedy. 
magnificent low-budget horror comedy with a terrific cast. Michael Rucker, uh, Nathan Fillion, Elizabeth Banks, and just, it's legitimately scary and freaky and legitimately absolutely hilarious. If you have not watched Slither, absolutely watch Slither. I still believe James Gunn's best film. It's, it's fantastic. It's so good. Anyway, um, what we do in the shadows, it's hard to describe what we do in the shadows to people who have never seen it. I've yet to hear a really good description of the show or of the movie. And you don't need to watch the movie in order to watch the show, but I do recommend it. Like watch the movie first, which is brilliant. And, and that's the movie that got Taika Waititi the Thor gig. What we do in the, he, he had done other work. Yes. But what we do in the shadows is what put Taika Waititi on the map and rightfully so. It's so good. And and they executive produce and write the, the television show as well. And they I think they've directed a couple of the episodes. Anyway, the show is every bit as good, if not even better than the movie. Um, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I was so happy a few weeks ago to hear that it got renewed for season three, which I'm joyously happy about. So yeah, guys, uh, follow Brad's lead. Go check out what we do in the shadows. And by all means, Brad, do check out Slither. It's, it's a wonderfully great, again, little low-budget sci-fi horror comedy. It's To me, it is the definitive calling card of James Gunn. But anyway, that's just me. All right, thanks for that, Brad. Dan Ketchum writes, Steve Martin's 1982 Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, I like that movie, is one of the funniest movies ever. But with modern technology, is it time to remake it? With CGI, you could e do even more than just edit scenes together. Um, you Here's the thing. You could... And while I believe Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid stands up from a uh, philosophical point of view, like the kind of movie it is, I think you could watch it. But I don't know if you can remake the kind of movie. It's I just don't know this the kind of movie that would do well today. And I think you're right. Advances in technology could definitely be a, a benefit. But is it the kind of movie, down to its DNA, is it the kind of movie that would do well today? And I'm not sure that it would. I'd rather see a resurgence of just the, the original. Let me bring this up here because I forget who directed it. Hold on a second. Um, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. It was directed by Carl Reiner. I did not, I did not realize Carl Reiner directed it. I mean... Seriously, guys, it's it's funny. You should definitely check it out. And the way they they intercut the whole thing is brilliant and wonderful, and I love it. A film noir parody with a detective uncovering a sinister plot. Characters from real noirs appear as scenes appear as scenes from various films uh, intercut. And it was uh, Rachel Ward was the main girl in it. Rachel Ward, of course, Carl Reiner. You remember him from a more modern audiences. I mean, a lot of us think about his son. Uh, who is a great director, an iconic director in his own right. But Carl Reiner, a lot of us these days will just think of him from the Ocean's Eleven movie. But I just don't know that that kind of spoof plays well right now. I mean, we had a decade and a half of really terrible, awful spoof kind of movies that just ruined the whole genre. Uh, and uh, Tylan just sent in another Super Chat badge. Thanks for that, Tylan. I like I like those things. Those are great. Thanks for sharing that. Um we had like a decade or two decades of just horrible, horrible spoof movies. Um, 
like meet the Spartans and all that kind of bullshit that just ruined the whole genre. And in, in the decade or two prior to that, we had like a golden age of spoof movies, whether it was the naked guns or whether it was the uh, hot shots or whether it was, you know, uh, space balls or whether it was uh, whatever, or the airplanes. We, there was a golden age of great spoof movies and dead men don't wear plaid is not like a true spoof. It's a little bit more than that. But then we got into a couple of decades where it was just ruined by absolute garbage. Now nobody wants to see it. So I don't know if a reboot would do well today. I don't know. You're right though, Dan, it would benefit from modern technology. Um, let's see. Where do we go? That was Dan. Next up is Mandalorian of Gondor who writes, Hey John, good to see you again. Good to be here. I don't know if it's been brought up, but I thought you'd like to know that the Rose Bowl in Pasadena has turned into a drive, a drive through for the month. You mean a drive in. And yes, I was just talking about that has turned into a drive in for the month of July. It's playing some big classic stand up comedy and shorts. Hope to see you there. Yeah. Well, like I said, July 4th, Ann and I already have our tickets looking forward to it. We're going to go see, um, uh, uh, Apollo 13 is the one that we got our tickets for. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really curious to see how they're going to set it all up. I'm curious to see how they're going to set it up, but it should be a lot of fun. Although I'm expecting traffic nightmares because it is a pain in the ass to get in and out of the Rose Bowl, but it is what it is. All right. Thanks for that, Mandalorian. All right. Mandalorian also writes, I forgot to mention regarding the Rose Bowl drive in the documentary Be Water will be free on one of the July weekends and just got my ticks. So excited for that. And my double feature of John Wick and the Dark Knight. Ooh, that's a good one. The original John Wick and the Dark Knight. Okay, that's that's a pretty good double feature. Stay safe and may the force be with you. Yeah, I can't remember. You know what? You just remind me. I don't think I asked Anne what our double feature is. Because I know it's a double feature, and I know the primary one is Apollo 13, but I don't think I asked her. Um, I don't think I asked her what the double feature one is. And Apollo 13, especially for Fourth of July, it's a that's a great Fourth of July one to go and watch. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, next up, uh, we go to Taki 75 who writes. The more I watch Endgame, the more I appreciate these little details, like Nebula closing Thanos' uh, eyes after Thor kills him, or the fear in Iron Man's face when Strange shows him this is the only reality where they win, and it dawns on him what he must do. Yeah, listen, there is a lot of good... Like, look, while I was talking a little while ago about how Endgame has a lot of big logic problems, the reality is there's also a lot of great moments like those ones you're mentioning. Right? Like small, subtle things that actually speak volumes. And you're right. Like a lot of people will, will, will say, and I don't disagree, that Endgame was really Nebula's coming out party. Like ne Nebula is really, this is clearly her most prominent film out of all the ones that she's done. Where she really got to shine. And uh, speaking of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and Karen Gillum uh, playing Nebula. And that moment that you're talking about was a really great moment. And yeah, like Tony realizing what has to be done. It's it's just, there's a lot of logic problems in the movie. Yes, but there's also a lot of great little moments that speak volumes that you just really appreciate even more the second or third or fourth time you see the movie. So uh, I completely agree with you on that, Taki. Very, very much. Well, well pointed out. All right. Russell Amador writes, hey, John. 
With August fast approaching uh, and with the production halt of Falcon and Winter Soldier, do you think Disney will soon announce new release windows for this and WandaVision? I don't think they completed shooting, but just craving some new Marvel. Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit earlier. Yeah, I do. I mean, listen, I'll be thrilled if all of a sudden and out of nowhere we find out Hey, they were able to get, they, they decided to fly over to England where they've reopened production studios and they've finished shooting off the things that they were shooting and they decided to finish it there and blah, 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 maybe. But my guess is, and it's only a guess, just guessing. My guess is we are very, very close, maybe even this week, uh, to getting actual release dates for these Disney plus shows. And I, and it's not going to be August. At least I don't think so. I think minimum they'll be pushed off to September, maybe even October. So, uh, yeah, I, I unfortunately, Russell, unfortunately, I agree. I think we are going to get announcements here pretty soon that they're going to get pushed off. Hopefully it's not going to be pushed off by much because, again, we've had Disney Plus forever and all we've got really gotten is one big true primetime original in Mandalorian. Meanwhile, Netflix is putting out 60 original things in July alone. You, di you didn't hear me wrong. 60 original properties they're putting out in July. It's uh, it's staggering. So hopefully they're able to come out with that Marvel stuff soon. All right. Ryan Loner writes, uh, Disney Plus just added Fantastic Four, proudly announcing it on the front page and everything. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be a real feather in their cap. Hey, listen, there are a bunch of people that's, that maybe have never seen it that would be interested in watching it. And again, while I think Fantastic Four, the latest one, was a bad movie. I don't think it's the train wreck that a lot of people make it out to be simply because the first act of the film, the first third of the film is actually pretty good. Now I, I've told this story before, but it, it bears repeating here. I remember going to Fox, like I was on the Fox lot, me and a bunch of other people um, to watch fantastic Four, this newest one. And I was sitting right beside me and Harloff were sitting right beside each other. And about an, maybe 45 minutes into the movie, maybe about 40 minutes into the movie. Everybody was expecting this movie to be terrible. Understand that going into the movie, the whole expectation was it was We heard about all the nightmare stories going on behind the scenes. The fact that they weren't even showing the press, the movie till one day before the movie came out, we were all expecting the movie to be absolutely dreadful. And about 40 minutes into the film, Harloff and I looked at each other and we were like, this isn't that bad. This is actually pretty good. Like it's, it's not great, but we were expecting this total train wreck right from the beginning. And we're like, this is, this isn't bad. This is actually nowhere near as bad as we thought it was. Good. This is actually okay. This first act is actually pretty good. I'm kind of enjoying myself watching the first act. Unfortunately, then came the second two acts, which kind of made the wheels fall off. But uh, that being said, there are probably still a bunch of people who've never seen it and wouldn't mind watching it. So, uh, yeah, when you're looking for things to highlight new, might as well do it. Hey, listen, I'm always criticizing Netflix never does a good job highlighting and promoting when they've got new things on their service. So kudos to Disney for doing a good job highlighting the new thing they got coming over. All right. John McKinney writes, have you ever seen a Superman, Batman, Public Enemies? I know. I don't think that I have. If not, I'd highly recommend it much better than Batman versus Superman. But that's just me. I don't know, man. Like I've had so many people, John, here's, here's the reality. I've had so many people tell me, um, uh, let's see, 2009, Batman, Superman, Public Enemies. 
When Lex Luthor gets elected U.S. president, he uses the threat of an uh, of an oncoming kryptonite meteor striking Earth as a, as rationale to frame Superman. Um, I've had a lot of people tell me, "Oh, John, you would love this Marvel straight to home video animated movie." Oh, John, you would love this DC animated straight-to-home video movie. And nine times out of ten, I really don't. I mean, I even had a bunch of people telling me, all due respect to people who watched it and liked it. If you liked it, that's awesome. But I just I had a bunch of people writing me saying, John, oh, I know you don't like Marvel or DC straight-to-home video animated movies, but you got to watch Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. You got to watch it. You're going to like it. I'm like, all right. Okay. I thought it was terrible. I thought it was just awful. A couple of really cool moments that I liked. A couple of very cool moments that I liked. But overall, I thought it was just gibberish awful. Sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. Never would have stood, you know, a cinematic release. Never would have stood the the, the, the um, criteria for, like, excellence in a movie. I, I just thought it was gibberish. I thought it was terrible. But that's just me. Like, I just generally don't like Marvel or DC straight-to-home video movies. Straight to home video animated movies. I, I gen now there are some exceptions. I always mention that there are some exceptions. There's some straight to home video stuff that I've actually really quite liked, um, both from Marvel and from DC. But generally speaking, I don't. So you got to forgive me a little bit, John, if I'm skeptical uh, when anybody highly recommends either a Marvel or DC straight to home video animated movie, because my experience has been pretty negative. My experience has been pretty negative. But you know. I'm a sucker for this stuff, though, so maybe I'll check that out at some point. But no, I have never watched uh, Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. I've never seen that myself. Is that the is that the one where Lois Lane falls in love with where, where Lois Lane falls in love with Bruce Wayne and they start dating? I can't remember. Is that is that the one that where Lois and Bruce Wayne actually dated? I I cannot remember, but maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, okay, let's move on here. Darth Osborne writes: How likely do you think the live action remake of Disney's Hunchback Nerd would be? Did we not already address that? Did I miss something? Yeah, I th yeah, you already asked that one, Darth. So here we go uh, again. Uh, I think extremely high. I think it's too edgy to be PG. I don't see in any reality Disney making it R. That leaves us PG-13. So I think it is very, very, very high. Very high. All right. Uh, next up here, we got John McKinney who writes, Since Joel Schumacher died, what are thoughts on the Phantom of the Opera? I talked about this the other day with Gerard Butler. Uh, what are your thoughts on Phantom of the Opera? I thought the movie was decent and not as bad as people claim, but that's just me to each their own. I like Phantom of the Opera. I mean, it's really weird to think, hold on a second, Phantom of the Opera. It's really weird to think that Gerard Butler 300 was the Phantom. It's, it's, it's really weird to think of him there. And Emmy Rosam was in that. Oh, I forgot Patrick, Will, uh, Patrick Wilson was in that. I told you, he's in everything, man. And of course, Mini Driver, who I adore Mini Driver. I don't talk about Mini Driver a lot because there's not a lot of opportunity to talk about Mini Driver. Just, just so everybody knows, I adore Mini Driver. Mini, if you're watching, you got a fan. Anyway, um, I like Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, and you know what? I think a lot of people like Phantom of the Opera. If I, if I'm not mistaken, you know, hold on a second. Let me um, and who and let me just bring this up. Um, Phantom of the Opera. Oops, opera, rotten tomatoes. I thought I think the majority of people liked it. Uh, well, not a majority of the critics. Thirty-four percent. 
34%. So only about one out of every three critics liked it. But I think most of the audience kind of liked it. I mean, it's not great. It's not great. But I enjoyed it. I mean, nowhere near as good as like the actual live stage show, for sure. Not as good as the actual live stage show. But um, but yeah, I, I'm with you, John. I like that movie. I'm And, and it is, so, again, today it is weird looking back at it because you don't think of Gerard Butler in that kind of movie. You know, we know him in Olympus Has Fallen and 300 and um, the, uh, what is it, the... The Rotten Truth or whatever, whatever it is. The Ugly Truth. I love The Ugly Truth. Uh, or, you know, his new one, the, the the Asteroid Disaster movie. Like, we think of him in those types of movies. We don't think of him in Phantom the Opera, but he was there. And I actually kind of like the movie, I got to say. All right. Beating the Phantom of the Opera. Okay. Sing once again with me a strange duet. My power over you grows stronger yet. You'll give your love to me, for love is blind. See, I like Phantom. I know Phantom. Anyway, now y'all, I should make you pay to hear me sing the Golden Pipes. I should make you pay to hear me sing. Anyway, uh, let's see. Let's move on here. Murray Reich writes. Oh, no, no, no. Josh Ward. Is that right? Are we at Josh Ward now? Yes, we are at Josh Ward. Um... Josh Ward writes, you're making a movie and have a choice. You can either have Steven Spielberg direct, Daniel Day-Lewis star, or John Williams score it. Which do you choose and why? Also, love the show and appreciate you. Uh, appreciate all you do for others. Stay classy, John Kibbe. Thank you so much for that, Josh. I really appreciate that, man. Um, oh, that's, that's easy. Easy. Spielberg directing. Because the director of a movie will have the most impact on the quality of a movie. An actor certainly has, and even the greatest actor of all time, Daniel Day-Lewis, an actor will certainly have an important impact on the quality of a movie. The score will certainly have an impact on the quality of the movie. But nothing has a bigger impact on the overall quality of a movie than who your director is. Um, th that's, that's the most important chair, is the director. So yeah, if... I was put in charge by a studio to oversee the production of a movie. And, you know, the, the studio president came and said, look, we got certain things lined up, uh, but you can only pick one. You can even have Spielberg directing, Daniel Day-Lewis starring, or John Williams scoring. I got to go Spielberg directing because that's the most important thing. So I will go Spielberg directing. And then, you know, lament that I couldn't get Daniel Day-Lewis out of retirement and lament that I wouldn't have the great John Williams scoring it. But you got to go with the director. Got to go with the director. All right. Murray Reich writes, I've watched an entire season of Crossing Swords. I really enjoyed Crossing Swords. Like, not as good as, like, Harley Quinn. But it's, I knew nothing about it. Just started watching it on Hulu, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was pretty good. It had some funny moments. Any other current adult animated shows running that you recommend besides Family Guy or South Park? I don't really watch a lot. Other than that, it's got to be Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn is definitely better. But Crossing Swords is this little animated show on Hulu. And it's just ridiculous. But it made me laugh a lot. I laughed a lot watching it. So it's a it was a nice little surprise. I never knew it was coming. It's got some great voice talent in it too. Nicholas Holt, Luke Evans, a whole bunch of other people. Uh, including one, like a couple of voice actors from Harley Quinn also do voices in crossing swords again it's on hulu it's a it's a little gem of a discovery uh, i just stumbled across it one day 
Started watching it, couldn't stop. I really enjoyed it. It's quite good. Again, nowhere near as good as like Harley Quinn, which is the only other real adult animated thing I watch right now. So my recommendation, Murray, would be Harley Quinn. It is infinitely better. Infinitely better. But I am with you. I, I quite enjoyed Crossing Swords quite a bit. Anyway, glad you had a chance to watch it as well. All right. Ed Perez writes, Hey, John. Uh, what has been the worst experience you've had at a movie theater? Mine was watching Ford v. Ferrari and having to walk out because the couple two rows behind me were doing the nasty. Uh, didn't talk to management about it, uh, but I low-key wish I did. Um, yeah, the only time... I, I, one of the last times I was at the drive-in theater, we there were a couple people banging in the back of a pickup truck. That's an image I can never get out of my head. Um the worst experience I ever had in a movie theater was in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Uh, my buddy and his girlfriend and I went to go see James. James. Uh, we went to go see uh, Jim Carrey's um, Jim Carrey's movie. I think it's the number. Is it the number twenty three? Is that the name of it? I always get the numbers mixed up. Let me just run through here. Uh, not 30 Rock. No, uh, the number 23. Yep, that was it. 2007. Also directed, by the way, by Joel Schumacher. But we went to go see the number 23. Uh, oh, yeah. Virginia Madison was in that. Logan Lerman was in it. Danny Houston. Lynn Collins. Uh, Rona Mitra. I love Rona Mitra. Whatever happened to Rona Mitra? Why did she disappear? I loved her. Anyway, went to go see the number 23. Truly, truly, truly awful movie. It's just a awful, awful movie. But it was not helped by the fact that it's also the worst movie going experience I ever had because we literally had. And listen, I'm not making any broad brush statements here that all teenage girls are terrible in movies. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this one particular isolated incident. Uh, there were these four teenage girls who are absolute assholes, literally sitting in the row behind us who would not shut the fuck up. And they weren't even trying. Like, like I've said this before. I don't mind. I don't mind if you're, you go to the theater with a girlfriend or a buddy or a best friend, whatever. I don't mind that you look, you're sharing the experience together. I don't mind people leaning over to each other. Like, oh, I'll watch it. Uh, did you see the thing that he just did? It's like, oh my God, that reminds me of Phil or, or whatever. I don't mind that. As long as you clearly are making some sort of effort to be courteous of me and the other people around you, I don't mind. It doesn't bother me. As long as you're not constantly doing it throughout the whole movie. But like, hey, every 10 or 15 minutes, you lean over in a whisper. And say, I don't mind that. That's okay. As long as, again, as long as you show that you're putting in some degree of effort to be courteous of people around you because that kind of shows that you are aware that there are other people here trying to watch a movie too and you're trying to be courteous of that. I appreciate that and that doesn't bother me. But these four assholes who were sitting behind us, um, it it was insufferable. Can you imagine that? I swear I thought my my buddy wanted to do violence. My buddy wanted to, and he finally turned around and yelled at them. Can you shut the fuck up? Like he, like, if I, I mean, but it was really, it's not like, I cannot emphasize enough. It wasn't just a little, oh, just for about 15 seconds. It was constant. They would not shut the fuck up. 
It was the worst. No. And as much as I go to the movies, I am always really amazed how rarely that ever happens to me. I, I have, I, I'm really lucky. I think I'm really lucky because I hear other people have horror stories. I have literally not had anything close to that bad happen in the 13 years since I saw the number 23. Very, very rarely. Um, I'm really lucky that maybe I'm just in, because I'm in Los Angeles, I'm in a place that movie going is taken really seriously in Los Angeles. So maybe I'm just lucky living where I live, but I ha I've had very, very few legitimate issues with the audience. Um, I've gone to the theater thousands of times in the last number of years, and it's always a pretty good experience. So I'm pretty lucky, but that has got to be the worst one I ever had, dude. That's got to be the worst one I ever had. All right. Uh, thanks for writing that in, Ed. Next up, David Crabtree writes, Hello, Sir John. Hello, David. Someone had recommended Transformers Prime on here, and as a G1 diehard myself, I wholeheartedly second that recommendation. That's interesting to hear. I've never been able to connect with any other Transformers series outside of the original G1 series. I never understood the appeal of Beast Wars. Yeah, I tried Beast Wars, and I was like, why are, why are people ex like recommend this so much? I, I, I also didn't see the appeal of Beast Wars myself. Anyway, but Transformers Prime takes what was great about the G1 series and really expands on the characters and storytelling, so it's a big thumbs up from me on one of my all-time favorite animated shows all right you know what david good enough i'm i'm in i'm in i don't know where to find it it's probably on netflix or hulu or amazon prime or something i don't know where to find it but i'll find it you've talked me into it i i've had enough of you guys now tell me to check it out i will try transformers prime i i mean because i'm like you i've never really liked any transformers outside of g1 I love G1. They made me a lifelong Transformers fan, but I didn't even like the Transformers animated movie. I just thought that was a shameless cash grab by by Hasbro uh, to get all the kids to throw away their old toys that they already bought and buy all the new toys. That's all that Transformers movie was. But uh, whatever. So I will try Transformers Prime based on that recommendation now that I've had enough of them. And the fact that you didn't like Beast Wars either, but you're telling me I still may like this one. I'll give it a shot. Thanks for the recommendation, David. All right, next up. Jerome writes, uh, what is the main difference between jobbing and a character just losing for legitimate reasons that don't make them look weak? Also, under which circumstances can somebody like Superman or Batman lose to another superhero and it isn't jobbing? Well, listen, jobbing is when it is clear that the only reason that this, uh, this character is even here is so they can lose to that character to make that character look good, right? Uh, that's clearly jobbing. I think when you get characters on similar levels, you can have one win and it's not jobbing. You can have another win and it's not jobbing and it's all fine. But when the clear intent is there to put another character over by having them triumph over this character to make them look good, that's jobbing. Now, you can have a situation where, like, say, Batman is going to fight Green Arrow. Here's a great example. Batman is clearly one level. Green Arrow is clearly another. Green Arrow, don't get me wrong. Green Arrow is great, but he's clearly not on the same level as one of the Trinity. So you could have, you could set it up where you can explain some kind of conflict where Green Arrow needs to win. You can say Bruce was mildly poisoned earlier on. Or Batman had just finished coming out of this massive gauntlet of fighting five different supervillains and is only at like 60% right now. 
and then had to, for some, for whatever narrative reason, had to get into a battle of, with Green Arrow. See, you can do that sort of thing where you maintain the primacy of the high, higher level character like Batman while giving the other, the secondary character a win under their belt, right? And that wouldn't be considered jobbing. If you had Batman coming into a battle, but he had just had this big, massive knockdown drag out battle and he had a lot taken out of him and he's at 60% and all of a sudden now he's got to fight Green Arrow for whatever reason. It's not jobbing then to have Green, even from a narrative point of view, it's not jobbing to have Green Arrow win that fight because you've laid narrative foundation to kind of explain it. Which is why, and or that's why I say you can have characters on similar levels fight. Like, so when you have two members of the Trinity battle, like Batman versus Superman, it's not jobbing to have one win over the other. It's not jobbing then because they're, they're, they're similarly balanced thing and they're not just there to make the other look good. So that's kind of one of the main things to me that that's, that's one of the main things to me and uh, why, what the CW did with their Superman is inexcusable and unforgivable in my opinion, but that's just me. That's just me in my opinion. All right. Mike Lee writes, I want to recommend 13 hours. Oh, we've talked a lot about 13. I like 13 hours. That's another one of those Michael Bay films that I, Everybody looks at me weird when I say, you know what? Michael Bay has had a number of good, solid films. He really has. And I thought, now, I don't think 13 Hours is like amongst the greatest films ever or anything, but I thought it was a good, solid film, much like, like Pain and Gain. That's another one of his. That I don't think it's like one of the great movies, but it's a solid movie that I really quite enjoy. Anyway, I want to recommend 13 Hours and got John Krasinski, you know, before he made his big post-office resurgence 13 Hours, one of the ones that really got him going again. Uh, it's a great film, and I think Bay's best. I don't think it's his best, but uh, it's got some very emotional and powerful moments throughout, and having read the book by the guys who were there, it could could not have been any more accurate to those events in Benghazi. Yeah, again, I, I like the film. I really do. I thought it was a solid little movie. A lot of people wouldn't give it a chance specifically because it was Michael Bay directing it. Which, again, I think is unfortunate. I think Michael Bay has got some good, solid films under his belt. My personal favorite of all time is The Rock. I think The Rock is his best movie. I, I, I'll, I'll die on my sword for The Rock. I love that movie. That movie is amazing. I also, I, I, have a, it's, I call it a guilty pleasure, but I'm unap unapologetic about it. I love Armageddon. I know most people hate it. Fine. I love Armageddon, and I make no apologies for that. But that you're again the first Transformers movie, Thirteen Hours, Pain and Gain. He's got some wins. I think Michael Bay's got some wins. So and and that is one of them, Mike. So thanks for bringing that up. All right, Stephen J writes. Since we're all being so racially accurate, I think it's time to redub over James Earl Jones. Whew, this gets the award for dumbest comment of the day. Uh, I think it's time to redub over James Earl Jones' voice uh, in the Star Wars films. Otherwise, it will continue to be problematic and racially insensitive. Did I get all the right SJW buzzwords? You're right, Stephen, because oh, boo-hoo, the poor white actor never having an opportunity in this business. Oh, my God, the generations and decades of poor white actors never being able, never being given a break. Never being given a break. Yeah, yeah, you win the award for dumbest comment of the day. Well done. All right, Roman writes, I think Rachel Ghoul's uh, Rachel Ghoul from uh, Batman Begins is the most underrated comic book movie villain. I don't know. I don't know. Um, listen, I love Liam Neeson. He's great. And I thought the character was very solid. But 
there was a lot of that movie where he was also quite inconsequential. And, and Batman, Batman Begins is great. Don't get me wrong. I, I like Batman Begins very much. I certainly like it better than The Dark Knight Returns. Um, and I like Dark Knight Returns too. But I don't know. I, I don't think he, I, I just don't think Rajal Ghul was like the strongest villain. I, I don't think he was the strongest, near the strongest part of that movie. He was a good solid villain, a good solid antagonist for what the narrative was, totally served his purpose in his role in the movie, totally did, played very well. They did the little switcheroo between who you thought was Rajal Ghul, between who en ended up being Rajal Ghul. Uh, and that's great. I don't know if I consider him one of the, I mean, look, it's all subjective. I think you'll probably find other people who would agree with you on that Roman. For me, again, I think it was a perfectly fine villain for the film. Totally played the role that he played that he needed to play, but it was a rather inconsequential character, despite the fact that his actions set up the narrative path for the character for sure. But yeah, not, I don't know that I'd consider him one of the most underrated ever. But anyway, maybe if I go, it's, you know, it's been a beat. It's been a couple of beats since I've watched Batman Begins again. Maybe if I went back and watched it again through the, through those lenses, maybe I'll feel differently. So, so right now I'll say I don't necessarily agree, but I could totally see why you do. So that's awesome. All right. Rylan uh, Holman writes, hello, John, big fan. Thank you so much, Rylan. Uh, what do you think theaters will do when they reopen as far as ticket prices go? Will they increase, lower them or keep them the same? Will they I think they absolutely will keep them the same and they should keep them the same. You can't increase the prices because that's going to, you need to get people back into the theaters, right? You need to get people back into the theaters. So you can't increase your ticket prices and ticket pricing is one of the big problems with the movie going experience today. So you can't just increase ticket prices because you're just going to keep people away from the theaters. At the same time, you can't really decrease them. What you can do is do specials like say, Hey, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, $5 movie days. You can do little specials, but what you don't want to do is create a different expectation. Like my local AMC theater, an average movie ticket, like not AMC prime, not 3d, whatever, an average movie tickets about 15 bucks, right? You say, oh, we're going to make them $9. Okay, great. That might get some people back into the theaters. But the problem is now you're creating an adjusted expectation so that Two months later, when you put your prices back up to 16 bucks, it's going to turn a lot of people off. So I personally feel, and I don't know this, I have no insider information. I'm just giving you my best guess. My best guess is they will have some promotions like $5 Tuesdays and Wednesdays or something like that. They'll do some promotions, but I think their best bet and what they will do is just come back out with their prices at their normal levels. That's my guess. Now, maybe they'll adjust prices for rerun movies. Like if they put Lord of the Rings back in, maybe they'll give, but, but that's a different situation, right? That's not a brand new movie. So again, I would, I would put that under the category of a promotion, but as far as their rate, like when Mulan comes out, when Tenet comes out, I think you're going to be paying just a regular price, not increase, not decrease. I think they're going to go with regular prices. Great question, Ryland. Excellent question. All right. Last question we're going to take before I take a short two or three minute break. We've been going about an hour and a half already. I need to rest the vocal cords for a second and go and refill my drink as well. You know, by the way, can I point something out? Somebody mentioned to me the other day. This is just me griping. 
Don't, don't mind me. I'm going to put on my crybaby pants for a second. I'm just going to gripe and whine about something for a second. But, you know, somebody wrote into me the other day and said, John, why do you need to take a break? You know, I watched some Twitch streamers that stream, that stream for like five or six hours. They don't need to take a break. Okay, yes. But those Twitch streamers are not talking nonstop from start to finish. They'll talk for about 30 seconds, then take about 20 seconds where they're not saying anything because they're doing their gameplay. It's great. I'm not taking anything away from them. Don't get me wrong. But they're taking then 20 seconds where they don't say a thing. And then they'll talk for a minute and then go a minute where they don't say a thing. And then they'll talk for 30 seconds and then be quiet for 15, 20, 30 seconds. You know? and, and that makes a world of difference on your voice. When you are literally just talking nonstop for an hour and a half, you really do start to feel it. Um, even when you're somebody like me who's kind of used to it, you really do start to feel it. So I totally admire like, you know, Twitch game streamers and stuff like that who do those long sessions. That's great. But it's don't compare it to what I do. It's a different thing. Like talking nonstop, especially without a co-host or anything like that, where I can say something and then they can speak. And while they're speaking, I'm not speaking. It's not like that. So it is a, it's just a very, very bad comparison. It's just a bad comparison. That's all. So I, the best way I know how to, to give you an idea is pick up a book, start on page one and read while projecting, don't just read like this. Like, because remember, I'm doing a show, so I'm also projecting. I'm also making sure I speak at a certain volume level and read out loud an hour and a half, nonstop, go. And that'll give you a bit of an idea about what you then feel like. And then see how your voice feels the next day. So, anyway, yeah, just a little, just a little nitpick I wanted to put in there. Anyway, gonna take a short break. Let's get to Julius's question, then we're gonna take a short break. Julius A. Goodwin writes, how do you feel about Anthony Mackey's recent statements? I honestly don't feel they are inflammatory or divisive, but I can already see he's going to regret it because it's about to become unnecessary drama. Okay, so I, I think I know what you're talking about. Let me let me just bring this up for a second. Anthony Mackey recently, uh, while being interviewed, we talked about his interview earlier. Let me just bring it up. Also kind of mentioned that Marvel needs to do a better job, including more diversity both on camera and off camera. And that's nothing new. Kevin Feige himself has said that we at Marvel need to do a better job getting some more diversity in. Because, and listen, you want to tell who has an agenda? Just bring up an objective fact and see if they get upset that you just brought up a fact. No opinion, just bringing up an objective fact. Here's a verifiable objective fact. If somebody gets upset at the fact, they probably got an agenda. But on camera, you can't deny that Anthony Mackie is correct. The MCU went 20 movies, give or take one or two. They literally went 20 movies, 20 movies straight with a white guy in the lead role. 20 movies straight. If, and oh my God, like today, the MCU puts out one movie with a female lead. People are screaming, that's SJW. What? what? Can you imagine how they would react if the MCU put out 20 movies in a row 
with a black lead or 20 movies in a row with a female lead. Can you imagine how their brains would explode? But but honestly, there, there's a fact. They went about 20 movies in a row from their inception with the first Iron Man right up till before Black Panther came out. They went 20 movies in a row with white guys. And I liked all of them, by the way, other than maybe Iron Man 2. But for the most part, I like them all. They're great. So, but... It is an objective fact. So yeah, Marvel could do a better job having more diversity in, in, in their leads. What Anthony Mackie though, that was then re referencing, and I'm just trying to pull it up here. This is, this is an interesting comment. Is that also behind the scenes, there's been a, a bit of a problem with there being really no diversity behind the scenes either. Now this is what Anthony, and again, he's just pointing out something that he's observed. He's just pointing out what he has observed, all right? As somebody who has been there on set, here is his observation. And this is what Anthony Mackie wrote, said. He said, we have had one black producer. His name is Nate Moore. Uh, he produced Black Panther. But when you do Black Panther, you have a black director, black producer, a black costume designer, a black stunt choreographer. And I'm like, that's more racist than anything else because if you only can hire a if you can only hire black people for the black movie are you saying that they're not good enough when you have a mostly white cast and one of the other i can't find the exact spot where he says it but he does put it in it's in the headline here on sci-fi wire anthony mackie calls from all the diversity because he said every single person on set behind the scenes has been white so Here's my thing. I, I'm not going to make and I'm not going to give my opinion on this. All I'm saying is I don't know that it should be any sort of divisive be seen as a divisive comment. If he is simply giving his observation, I have been on the Marvel sets and this is what I have observed. It's all everybody is white. We don't hire black cinematographers. We don't hire black uh, ADs. We don't hire black producers we don't hire black directors we don't hire i mean he's been around the mcu for a while and he's just giving his observation that everybody is always white but again to me it's really nothing new because this is something kevin feige has already addressed kevin feige himself has already said we have some work we need to do when it comes to our diversity. And I think that would probably extend behind the camera as well. Because, you know, if all you ever do is just everybody everywhere is always white, some people will say, well, you should just hire the best person for the job. Yes, but when it's always the same people getting hired, then clearly you're not following the rule of just hiring the best person for the job. Now you have to start to suspect there's been some exclusion going on. And you haven't just been hiring the best people for the job. And I think Kevin Feige is, and I'm not saying that is the case with Marvel. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that Kevin Feige himself has pointed out, we need to do some work with our diversity. Anthony Mackie comes out and he just says, hey, listen, as somebody who's been on the set for a number of Marvel movies, I can tell you all I ever see is everybody on set's always white. All the jobs are, are, are white. I don't see any, any you know, um, anybody else getting those jobs. Which, when you repeat that 
over a number, like you see that once, okay, you see it twice, okay, you see it three times, okay. Once you see it four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times in a row, you start to have to wonder, okay, clearly you're not just hiring the best people for the job. Clearly there's there's an issue of exclusion going on here. There's an issue of somebody not getting the opportunity, a fair opportunity that other people are getting. And that's all he's pointing out. He's simply pointing out what his observation has been. And if he's just now, he didn't make, so I'm looking at Mackey's statements and I don't see anything that's controversial. He's just pointing out a fact, just like I pointed out a fact earlier. The MCU started with give or take one or two, about 20 movies straight with white male leads. 20 films in a row without a black lead, without a Latino lead, without an Asian lead, without a female lead, 20 films in a row. If you had done five films in a row, with women leads or black leads or gay leads or whatever, people would be screaming agenda. Wouldn't they? You know, they would be. If they put out five films in a row, that was either women lead, black lead, Latino, gay, whatever. People would be screaming agenda from the mountaintops. 20 films in a row without anybody else in the lead. Nobody thinks that's a problem. Nobody thinks that's an issue. Nobody raises an eyebrow. As soon as you start having like, I still remember reading this, this one article on this one, clearly agenda heavy blog because they had like two movies back to back. Marvel had two movies back to back. One was a female lead. One is a black lead and just wrote this whole thing about how Marvel has this massive anti-white agenda, anti-white male agenda. Cause there were two movies in a row that didn't have white male leads. While 20 in a row, no, there's no agenda. There's no agenda at all. There's no exclusion going on. I mean, so I don't know. I, I don't really see Mackie's. Mackie just simply said, here's a fact. Now you take that fact and you do with it as you will. You interpret these facts as you would will interpret them. And we'll all interpret them differently. But as far as I could see, all Mackie was saying is like, look, we do need some more diversity behind the cameras on Marvel movies. Uh, and he said, look, I'm the lead of, of look at the, I got my characters, the first name in the billing, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I'm lead of the show, so that's great. But behind the cameras, we're not getting much. And so he's given his two cents on that after giving a fact. I don't really see much to be controversial there. Uh, other people have said stuff that have been very controversial that were very much opinionated and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, there, there's something to be said there. But what Mackie said, I thought was just, he's just communicating what his experience has been and, and what he has physically actually seen on set. And then kind of leaves it up to you and I to, to interpret or decide what that means, if anything, if anything. So yeah, I don't know that much is going to be made out of Mackie's comments. Uh, Cause I don't think there's much to be made there because you can't refute him. I mean, he's the one who's on set. So he just said, here's a fact, this. Now, whether that should be important or not important is up to the individual person listening to it. Whether that means it should re result in something or not result in something, that's up to the individual to interpret. But as far as Mackey's comments go, he just reported what he saw. And it's up to you and me to decide whether that's a problem, not a problem, something that needs to be actionable, not actionable, whether it speaks to a larger problem or that it doesn't. That opens up a whole bunch of other discussions. But honestly, I thought Mackie could have said a lot, a lot of things a lot more controversial than that. But that's just me. All right.
Guys, I'm now going to take a quick break here, if you don't mind. I'm going to run downstairs, refill my drink, rest my voice for like two or three minutes. So hang tight with me. Don't go anywhere. Remember, guys, you can still get in a question if you like. Use the tip link in the top line of the description of this video. You can just click on it there, or you can enter it manually. TheStreamElements.com slash MovieBlogTV slash tip. You'll be getting your question or comment on the show, and you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. All right, guys. So with that down, uh, hang tight with me. I will be right back. guys and we are back thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as i went and refilled my drink now let's get right back to and start taking your questions again lj wrote in hello thanks for your show um thanks for your show helps me go through some hard times also thanks to your wife for keeping supporting you yeah my i am well first of all thanks lj for being here and being a part of the community my wife is great because you know i i said this um I won my latest award I won last year for best live series at the Academy of Web Television. 
And in my acceptance speech, I kind of told the story. It's a totally true story. When I thought about leaving Collider, which is, you know, a regular paycheck job and a pretty good paycheck um, to just go solo. And, you know, my thought was I could make my hope was in going solo starting that I could make $200 a month. Going from what I was making to that is a big jump. But I thought that's where I'd have to start from and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if you're anybody and you think about going to your spouse and saying, I want to quit my regular paycheck job and just work from home and do my own thing. And I'll probably make like two or three dollars a day or maybe five dollars a day or whatever. Right. Maybe seven, ten dollars a day from home. You know, most people's spouses would look at them and say, uh-huh, sure you are. But I went, I came home and I talked to Anne. I'm like, I think I'm going to do this. And my wife, my wife said, you're damn right you are. Because this, you should have done this a long time ago. So, you know what my wife said to me. And she has been uh, totally supportive and which has been, uh, which has been amazing. And uh, I'm not ashamed to say, I'm not ashamed to say that, uh, how do I put this? Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't. Oh, no, okay, I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna say that right now. But uh, to to have that type of support um, is amazing. Now, thankfully, everything went way better than I thought they would, and and we didn't start at two hundred dollars a month, which is which has been great. And you know, with all the support that our our community's given us and stuff like that, we actually were able to hire people on staff and have a lot of great talent here and all that kind of stuff. All thanks to you guys. But yeah, I couldn't have done any of it without. Uh, my wife, Ann. And by the way, speaking of my wife, Ann, I got a little surprise coming this week. Uh, just a just a little thing. Just, just a little thing. Something to do with the channel. Something to do with the channel. Got a little surprise coming for you guys this week. That involves uh, my wife, Ann, and uh, another friend of ours. But uh, just, a little, just a little thing. Just a little surprise. Just for the channel. You're going to see it. I'll tell you more about it in the coming days, but it's coming soon. It's not like something that's like a month off. It's coming very soon. And I'll, I'll tell you about that as we get a little bit closer, but thank you for writing that in LJ. I appreciate that. Okay. Next up, Eduardo O'Neill writes one of two Vineland saga. I actually know what I had is a friend of mine recommend that it's an anime, right? A friend of mine recommended that to me. I don't know anything about it, but I've heard about it. I've heard it's pretty good. Vineland saga is about a kid whose father a the former greatest Viking general was killed by Viking raiders. And so having nowhere to go, he joined said raiders with the intent to kill their leader. Eventually the leader knows this. So the mentor uh, slash hate dynamic between them is done brilliantly. It's also a sad story about how this kid is essentially getting further and further away from the honorable ways of a warrior like his father used to be. It's a real man's anime that left me shattered. Yeah, I've heard good things about that before. Actually, let me bring this up here. Let me look this because I've never actually looked it up here. Vineland Saga. Uh, Vinland Saga. I don't know if it's pronounced Vineland or Vinland. I'll go with Vinland Saga right now. Yeah, uh... Thorfinn pursues a journey with his father's killer in order to take revenge and end his life in a duel as an honorable warrior and pay his father. Uh, it, it, yeah, I've heard great things about it. I might have to check it out at some point. So is this a series? It was a one season, or at least it's, it's had one season so far. So it is a series. Uh, somebody do me a favor. Email me at john at the john show.com. That's john at the john show.com. And let me know where I can find it. Cause that sounds 
it's a cool sounding story. It's a cool sounding story. I'd like to hear that. I especially like the idea that he's training under this guy that he wants to kill and the guy knows it. That sounds fascinating to me. So I'd be interested in checking that out. All right, next up, Dan Ketchum writes, one of two, counting Hispanics, uh, people of color make up about 39% of the population. In line with this, they comprise about 40% of Marvel characters. I think people who live in communities of color have a disproportionate idea of their percentage of the overall population. I, I'm not, anyway. Um, uh, two, two. In fact, black people make up only 13% of the U.S. population, while whites are 61%, yet 15.9% of the roles on cable scripted shows in 2016-17 were for black actors. If anything, black actors are slightly overrepresented. These are facts. Okay, but here's the thing, Dan. We just had 20 films in a row. 20. So even if you wanted to apply the 13%, right? Even if you wanted to apply the 13%, then in those first 20 plus movies, 2.3 of them or 2.6 of them should have been black leads. Should have been black leads, but they're not. So you can say this, but whatever little gains have been made have been minor and usually in the secondary roles and in secondary background roles. Uh, and again, the MCU is just a great example of that. So I, I don't think you make a valid argument. I don't think you make a valid argument at all. Anyway, Starscream writes, with theaters possibly going under, would that cripple the movie studios? Yes. Uh, what would become of the empty theaters? Is it possible that the theaters could be bought and reopened in the future? And even though uh, you're just a puny flesh creature, love your show. Well, thank you so much for that. You know, I, I don't know. The question is, who buys the theaters? Right? Who buys them? Who has that money to open that up and spend in a movie, in a money-losing proposition? That's the problem. You know, some people suggest, I remember somebody wrote in on the show and suggested, uh, well, if the theater shut down, then just the movie studios can buy them. Well, the movie studios don't want to be in the movie theater owning business. I mean, yeah, they want to own the odd little theater here and there, but they don't want to own a nationwide chain. They know nothing about running them, and they know that it's not a money-positive cash flow business. Movie theaters, even in their best of days, they are on a razor-thin margin of making money compared to not making money. There's a razor-thin margin even in the best, when things are going well, it's a razor-thin profit margin. That's not the type of business movie studios want to be in. So the question becomes, who would want to? Now, a lot of movie theaters in the United States today are not standalone buildings. For example, uh, the AMC Burbank 16, which I go to more than anything else here in Burbank, it is in a big outdoor plaza. So AMC actually has to lease that space off of the plaza. And a lot of movie theaters are in situations like that, where a, a lot of the theaters you know aren't standalone buildings. Many are, but a lot of them aren't. They're part of like a larger plaza or a strip mall or, or whatever, and they actually lease the property. They actually lease the property. So uh, who would come in and take over those leases? I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if we get back into a situation where every single movie theater is a small mom-and-pop operated thing. And we don't have national chains anymore. Look, it is it is weird to talk about in such apocalyptic terms, but the movie theater industry really is in crisis right now. Yeah, we all know AMC is, but believe me, 
if the theater shutdown gets stretched into September, October, November, AMC is absolutely done. But guess what? Regal could also be done if it goes that far. Cineplex or Cinemark could also be done. Cineplex for those Canadian people watching, could also be done. I mean, it is a catastrophic, tectonic shift that would happen in the industry as a whole. And that the waves of such a tsunami would definitely horrendously crash into the movie studios as well. Because this position they're in right now of making no money, they're just they're gleaning some shekels off VOD right now, but that's not enough to keep them alive. They're going to feel it too. So it, it's these are huge questions, Starscream, that the whole industry is asking right now. And while there are a lot of high-level meetings going on, a lot of high-level meetings going on uh, with people and organizations desperately trying to figure out how do we keep the movie theater industry going? How do we keep everything up and running? Uh, these are all high-level meetings that are happening and some high-level discussions that are taking place. And it's vital. It's vital, dude. Uh, so great question. All right. Uh, Rich Thomas writes, one of two. Following up on a previous comment, I also recommend Transformers Prime. There we go. We got another vote for Transformers Prime. I grew up a G1 fan, um, and this is a great evolution of that. It's one of those shows that that's kid-friendly, but not made specifically for kids. I honestly think it's more aimed uh, at those who grew up with G1. Great voice cast. Peter Cullen really gets to be Optimus Prime here. Not some psycho robot yelling, I'll kill you every five minutes. At least check out the five-part pilot that opens season one the humans take something take some getting used to i'm on board rich i'm on board you guys have talked me into it i'll give it a shot i again i need to go and figure out where it is i don't know if it's on netflix i'm guessing it's on netflix but maybe it's on amazon prime or maybe it's on hulu or something but you've between you um and um um, oh, damn. Uh, who was it that wrote in earlier uh one of our regular viewers wrote in earlier anyway between the two of you guys you got me sold you got me sold. I will try it out. I will try it out. And so thank you for the recommendation. And thank you for the heads up that the humans take some getting used to. So that's a good warning to have uh, in advance. So thank you for that, Rich. I appreciate that. All right. Next up, Daniel Haygood writes, glad you're chilling out for a minute. I'm enjoying it myself. Uh, have you looked at the show, uh, the show Dark in the meantime? No, I have not. Uh, the final season just dropped. Uh, better strike while the iron's hot. It's such a beautiful show and actually sticks to landing. Yeah, I've heard a few people tell me it's. If I'm not mistaken, that's a German show, right? That's on Netflix. I've heard a number of people talk about it. I've heard decent things about it, uh, but I have never gotten around to it. I don't look. The reality is, I just don't have time to watch everything. I mean, that's the reality. I've got a lot of shows that I really want to watch and movies that I really want to watch that I just don't have time to. And I just don't know if I'm ever going to get a chance to get around to Dark. But believe me, Daniel, you're not the first person that has recommended that one to me. I I've had a few people recommend it. Um, so maybe I will. Maybe I will. Uh, well, maybe I'll get around to it. And so how many seasons? Was it three seasons that it lasted? That's, that feels like a normal Netflix run. I'm not really sure. But if as long as it's the one I'm thinking of, you're not the first one to recommend it to me. So maybe, maybe at some point I'll get around that. Thanks for the recommendation, dude. All right. Steve Swanson writes, Sends in a $20 tip. Thank you for that, Steve. And if, this, if there is a question in here because you sent in a $20 tip, we will segment my answer out and it will go up as its own standalone video in a couple of weeks. Keep your eyes open for that. So thank you for supporting the channel on that level. Uh, Steve writes, love the show. Thank you so much, man. I was watching Avengers Endgame last night and realized 
This was the first time the MCU showed Peter Quill returning to Earth since Guardians of the Galaxy. True. Should they have made a bigger deal out of it? And did he and and did he learn about iTunes? Somebody else brought that up before. And and should should like with him being back on Earth, like whoa, I have. Should they have made a bigger deal out of it? Here's the problem. If this had not been Avengers Endgame, and if it was almost any other MCU movie and Peter Quill makes a return to Earth, you make a big deal out of that. I mean, he is from Earth, and this is his first time back since he was taken uh, uh, when he was, I forget how old he was, what was he, 11 or 12? I can't remember. Since he was taken as a kid by Yondu, this is his first time coming back. That's a big deal. So should they have made a big deal out of it in Endgame? Actually, no. And I'll tell you why. Not because it wouldn't have made sense for him to make a big deal out of it. There was simply no time to make a big deal out of it. There's simply no time for him to make a big deal out of it. That, look, if there's any, other than the few logic problems in Endgame, if there's any other problem with Endgame, it is kind of overstuffed. It really is overstuffed. Not to the point that it explodes, but we're, it's so overfilled with stuff that there's a few little leaks here and there. I just don't think there was a moment to add a, a yet another dynamic. I think the Russo brothers, and they talk a little bit about this in the DVD commentary for Endgame. I think the Russo brothers had to go through a lot of things in Endgame that they could have done or could have included, but they talk about there just wasn't time. We're just asking the audience to have their attention on, we have too many other things going on at once that we want the audience's attention to be on right now. And there are so many things that they cut out of the movie. Like not necessarily like our deleted scenes, but even in the script writing process, we had to cut something out of the script writing process. We had to take the scene out even before they ever started shooting. Like all this stuff because they just realized Endgame is a very, very packed movie. And so what where I would normally agree, Steve, that if it was almost any other MCU movie, in that moment they could have and should have made a bigger deal out of Peter Quill returning to Earth for the first time. But in Endgame, given the current circumstances um, that the movie was facing, did we need yet another thing drawing attention to it when we had so much else going on? It was probably a good thing to overlook it. And I'll say this too. I think the fact that very few people even notice the fact that Peter doesn't make a big deal out of being back on Earth for the first time speaks to the correctness of the decision not to put it in. Because you don't hear thousands of people going, wait a minute, Peter's back on Earth. How come he's... I, I think that's a testimony to just how many things were going on in those scenes and in those movies all at the same time to pause everything, to bring all of our attention to Peter making a big deal out of coming back to Earth, I think would have been counterproductive. So again, almost any other MCU movie, absolutely they would have done that. But in Endgame, it was probably the right decision not to because it wasn't needed and it just would have distracted from so much else going on around him at the same time. So anyway, excellent question. That's just kind of my thoughts on that. And again, thanks for supporting the channel on that level, dude. We appreciate it. All right, Sam writes... 
Spielberg shot Jurassic Park and Schindler's List at the same time. I can't imagine the stress of shooting a heavy World War II drama biopic to dinosaurs chasing eating people. Not surprised he didn't collapse because uh, he's Spielberg. What a goat. I don't know that I've ever heard he shot them at the same time. Like, I, like he wasn't, I, I don't believe, I mean, I, I could be missing something. I don't believe he was like, okay, Monday, I'm going to be on the set of Schindler's List. Tuesday, I'm going to be on the set of Jurassic Park. Thursday, I'm going to be back on Schindler's List. Friday, I'm going to be, I, I don't, I don't think that's true. Although, if it is, that's crazy. <laughs> if it is, that's absolutely crazy. Not a story I have heard before, Sam, but being a huge Spielberg fan, I am definitely going to go and look into that. Because if that's true, then you just point out something to me I, I never realized. If that's true, you just point out something I never realized. Um, I'm not seeing anybody in the chat discussing it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to go look into that. If it is, that's an amazing factoid. But I just don't see how that would be possible. A director, I don't think a director can be shooting two films at the same time. Even Spielberg. Uh, some people are saying in the live chat, we mark in live chat saying, well, he shot it in the same year. Okay, that, yes, directors can shoot multiple films in the same year. Yes, I could see that. I don't know. But but if it was at the same time, if there was actually overlap, like significant overlap, that's major. So I'll go and look into that. Thanks for bringing that up, Sam. All right, next up, Jesse writes, if you talk about grr moments, I just had a one in The Last of Us Part Two. No spoilers. Early on, a character puts a knife into Ellie's to Ellie's throat, and then, with no fear in her eyes, Ellie looks them dead in the face and says, "You can't stop." The oh yeah, I know that scene. Grr! It's an awesome moment. You can't stop this. <laughs> it's like one of the most. It's it, oh, they're so. That's the thing. Again, all due respect to anybody who didn't like Last of Us Two. It's all subjective, and if you didn't like it, that's great. Don't take me praising it as me devaluing your opinion. It's not. I'm just saying, from my point of view, it is a fucking masterpiece. At least as far as storytelling in video game form goes. Masterpiece. Best it's ever been done. Never been done better. And that, I know exactly the scene you're talking about. I, you can't, st I remember she said that. I was like, holy shit. He's like, yeah. It, it was, there, there's so much. I'm telling you, dudes, that game. That story, again, I didn't play the game. So what I, the terminology I should be using is that story is so psychotically good, psychotically good. Uh, I'm just, I'm just floored by it. And that's just one of those moments, dude. That's just one of those. Excellent. Well, point, well pointed out, Jesse, well pointed out. All right. Kazam writes, I'm very pessimistic, but I really hope theaters open in August. Uh, I, I, Fingers crossed, man. Last last film I saw in theaters uh, was sadly Doolittle. That's a that's a hard one. To, that's a bitter pill to swallow, man. Uh, though it can't be the thought thought it be fun bad thought it be fun bad, but it is just pure trash. That can't be the last time I go to one. Need to get that memory out of my head. Yeah, I listen. I said, I remember when the first they first announced Doolittle. And I was still at Collider at the time. I was still doing movie talk at the time. When they first announced Doolittle and they put out that, that image with Robert Downey Jr.'s Doolittle and all this super stacked voice cast and all this kind of stuff came out. I remember saying, like everybody else is all excited, but I'm like, I don't know that this can work. I mean, hey, Robert Downey Jr., 
You got this tremendous voice cast. It's a great story. Doolittle is a great character. I mean, maybe it could, but I, I don't know that this is going to be something a lot of people are going to be interested in. But hey, you know, it, 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 it got some great people involved, blah, blah, blah. I was not expecting fireworks when I saw it. My expectations were fairly managed. My let's let's put it that way. That to put it kindly, my expectations were managed. And I also remember Aaron Cummings came with me. It was me because Anne was busy, so Aaron came with me, and we watched the movie. And when it was done, we got up and walked out. We didn't say anything as we were walking out. Then we got into the lobby, and I said. That was really bad. And Aaron was like, oh my God, I'm so glad you said that. I Right? It was so bad. I'm like, it's so bad. The part that really surprised me too, and I mentioned this before, was that I've seen plenty of movies that, you know, the movie wasn't good, but you know what? The actor did a good job. The actor did as well as they could, whatever. The actor did fine. It was the first time I can remember going, Robert Downey Jr. was terrible in that. I don't know. And I just talk like this. Every single word, every line of dialogue is all talking like this. And it became so irritating. It's just the character choices he made. I mean, he didn't write the dialogue, so you don't blame the actor for the dialogue, but just the performance. It's the first time I've ever seen a Robert Downey Jr. performance. Don't get me wrong. I don't love every Robert Downey Jr. movie, but it's the first time I watched a Robert Downey Jr. performance, who is fantastic. It's the first time I've ever seen a Robert Downey Jr. performance where I went, he was not good. He was not good, which makes me excited to see whatever he does next. Cause you know, he's going to want to follow that up. You know, he wants to bounce back. So I'm expecting maybe even something Oscar quality from Robert Downey Jr. The next time we see him, cause you know, he wants to bounce back from that, but yeah, that would be a, that's a sour taste to have in your mouth. My man to have Doolittle be the last one. My last one was all what wasn't as bad as Doolittle, but it also wasn't a good one. It was the hunt. The hunt was bad. And I was excited for that movie. I had high expectations for The Hunt. And I had, had its moments, but overall I thought it was pretty bad. All right, Willem writes, The event at the Rose Bowl on July 4th is an Apollo 11 live experience thing. It's not the Apollo 13 Ron Howard movie. Oh, if, I mean, look, Ann just bought the tickets. If it's not, I will, I'm going to have to double, I have to look into that. Hold a second. Uh, let, me do, let me do a quick search here because now I'm really concerned. Uh, Apollo... 13 Rose Bowl. Let's see here. I can't find anything. All right. I'm going to have to go and, and check this out because I, because she thought it was tickets. If it's Paul, that changes everything. I'm not as excited. Well, Paul 11 is great, but I didn't want to go to, I want to see Paul 13. Okay. I'll have to go look into that. Thank you for giving me the heads up on that. Cause I got to go and check, check into that now. All right. Curtis Hunt writes. Thank you for that. Willem. Um, Curtis Hunt writes, just found out the guy who was, uh, Gary, uh, Bertier in remember the Titans was also Opie and sons of anarchy, LOL, crazy, great in both roles. I was just talking about that on the show the other day. I was just talking about that. Cause I was talking about how I just watched remember, uh, the Titans, uh, the other day and, and how Ann and I just watched it again recently. And the fact that, oh my God, it's Ope. Ope is in it. Opie from Sons of Anarchy. But it's not just Ope. There are so many people I totally forgot. Uh, Donald Faison. 
Totally forgot Donald Faison was in that. One of the biggest surprises to me, though, was Hayden uh, Panettiere, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, the cheerleader from Heroes. I had I had no knowledge that 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 um, um, uh, Will uh, uh, Will Patton's daughter in the movie. I never knew that that was Hayden Panettiere. Never knew that. So there was that uh, Kate Bosworth, you know, she was the the racist girlfriend. Totally forgot Ryan Gosling was in the movie. Um, uh, uh, Ryan Hurst is the actor's name, by the way. Ryan Hurst, um, who played Ope. I I mean, just name after name after name, like all these people appear. It's like, oh my god, I totally forgot the guy. Yeah, I I totally forgot that that was Ope from Sons of Anarchy, my favorite character on Sons of Anarchy. Was in Remember the Titans. All right. Thanks for that, Chris. All right. Ryan write, writes. And this is our final question of the day, guys. Ryan writes. Just rewatched the Usman versus Covington fight. Fight of the year, in my opinion. Also, who you got, Usman or Burns? I Listen, that's going to be a great fight. And by the way, fight of the year? Dude, that Hooker-Dustin Poirier fight was madness. That fight was crazy. That's a big fight of the year. The Covington-Usman fight was a very good fight. That was a very good fight. Um, Covington got his ass knocked out, but I'll be honest with you, he did better in that fight than I thought he would. Full credit to Covington. I don't like the guy, but full credit to him. Uh, he did better in that fight than I thought he would. It still ended the way I expected him getting knocked out, but he did much better. Because I honestly thought Usman would just swarm him and destroy him, maybe in the first round. And Covington did much better than I thought he would. So full marks. Um, Burns is better than Covington. The way Burns... I honestly thought Burns beating Woodley surprised me. I thought, I thought clearly Usman is the top dog in the division. And then the gatekeeper is Woodley. And then there's everybody else. I knew Burns could possibly beat Woodley, but I was not expecting it. I, I really, I thought Woodley would win the fight, but I wouldn't have put a lot of money against Burns. The way Burns utterly dismantled Woodley in everything. Woodley was never in that fight. For you to walk in and totally own the former welterweight champion of the world the way he did was impressive and don't forget Usman and Burns they're in the same team they trained in the same camp these guys know each other very well and apparently they like each other very much apparently like Burns Gilberto Burns even even said oh I, I love Usman he's great I love him but this is business. I want to be champion, right? So I'm going to go and challenge him for the title. They they have they have a super super high level of respect for each other. They like each other, um, but they've they've trained in the same camp, so you know they know each other very well. It's going to be I I've got to I still believe I believe that other than Habib Nurmagomedov, I believe Usman is the second baddest man on the planet. I believe he's the second best pound for pound guy in the world. Other than Habib, which is by far above everybody else. Uh, in my opinion. If you had asked me five minutes before the Woodley Burns fight, how do you think an Usman Burns fight would go? I'd go, oh, it would probably be a decent little fight, but Usman will ultimately like overwhelm him. 
I still think Usman will win the fight, but I'm not putting any money on that at all. Burns is a freak. He is world-class jujitsu, like world-class jujitsu. So this fight will happen wherever he kind of wants the fight to happen. Like Usman's a terrific wrestler, but I, I think I think Burns will dictate whether this fight goes to the ground or whether it happens on his feet. The question is, and he is a terrific striker, can you trade with Usman? I don't know. I don't know. He certainly dominated Woodley. So it's it's the whole fight island card is crazy good. I, I'm actually, my most anticipated fight is actually the uh, Max Holloway fight. I think that rematch is going to be great. Then you got the Jose Aldo fight versus P uh, Peter. If that's going to be fantastic for the vacant belt there. Three title fights. Not to mention you got Paige Van Sant is fighting on the card. I was like watching Paige Van Sant fight. Uh, you got the Rose uh, return fight. That's going to be great. It's top to bottom. That whole Fight Island card is crazy stacked. Crazy stacked. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Anyway, guys, that will do it for today's installment of Open Mic. Thank you guys so much for being here. And, and again, to everybody who's wondering, yeah, the John Campia Show, we've been announcing this for a long time, the John Campia Show is currently on hiatus. Uh, while I take a little bit of a break, get caught up on a lot of other things, and doing open mics is a lot easier because there's not 10 hours of prep work that needs to go into doing open mic. We just sit here and take your live questions, and it's been a lot of great. We'll do another open mic. There won't be an open mic tomorrow, but we'll do another one in a couple of days, Wednesday. We'll do one on Wednesday, uh, maybe, and then maybe one on Friday. We'll see, but we'll definitely do one on Wednesday, so in, in two more days. And remember, guys, you can send in questions now. Uh, anytime. And you can have your questions be amongst the first ones to get answered on Wednesday show. Go to streamelance.com slash movieblogtv slash tip anytime 24-7. Uh, send in your question. You'll be getting your question on the show and supporting the channel at the same time. And if you do it before the show starts, yours will be one of the first questions that gets answered on the show. Guys, again, thank you so much for being here and making this a part of your day. Thank you so much for uh, your indulgence as we were an hour late getting the show started today because of technical issues. And thank you to everybody who sent in the questions because number one you gave us great fun things to talk about and number two you supported the channel and we all thank you very much for that all right guys do the important things be smart be safe take care of yourselves and take care of the people around you that'll do it for me for now guys my name is john campia thanks so much for being here and until next time my friends bye bye